I just saw something on television flash about a UFO sighting, and that whole thing came back to me, but this time it came back with a vengeance. Ladies and gentlemen, we all of America! And it came up. Human mutilation. I thought, well, there's a typo for you. Somebody really got that one screwed up. So I called a friend of mine. He says, you don't even want to get involved in this. I said, why? What's the problem with that? And he says, this is taboo. This is something you do not want to be involved in ever. He said, nobody discusses this. Nobody researches this. And just forget it. Get away from it. If you're not a believer in the paranormal, you will be. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 6. Big, big thanks to our friend Pete Diggins for contributing the theme music to this edition of BOA Audio. Check out his website, www.rophonic.com, and that's spelled A-U-R-O-P-H-O-N-I-C.com. Check it out. Feels like it has been quite a while since I talked to you, and that is because it has been quite a while. Had to take a little brief break from the website and the audio series. Had a lot of work going on at my various other side gigs. Much, much more work than usual here for me, but I'm not complaining because I gotta make the money, my friends. I gotta pay the bills to keep the lights on here at BOAHQ. Ended up doing about 18 straight days of non-stop work between all of my side gigs and barely had time to think, much less tend to BOA business. Thankfully, that run has ended, and I am back behind the proverbial microphone here for more installments of BOA audio. So let's dig into the madness here and preview what you're going to be hearing on the program this week. Our guest is longtime researcher of high strangeness, Butch Witkowski, and he joins us for a discussion on the human mutilation phenomenon. Butch is going to tell us how he ended up investigating the human mutilation mystery. He'll share some key cases where people have died under mysterious circumstances that suggest they were victims of human mutilation, and how the field of ufology as well as government authorities make it particularly difficult to investigate the phenomenon. Plus, we'll cover the paranormal nature of Pennsylvania, time portals, and for those folks who like the inside baseball stuff here, we're going to get into the accusations leveled against Butch in the last six months that he fabricated his background. A lot of people say Butch went underground, didn't want to respond to these accusations. Well, None of that is true, my friends. He is here on the program this week, and he will respond to those allegations. So stay tuned to the end of the program for that. Altogether, it is an episode that may have you looking at abductions and cattle mutilations in a more suspicious and frightened light as we explore the very troubling human mutilation phenomenon with a no-nonsense researcher of the paranormal, Butch Witkowski. For those of you unfamiliar with Butch Witkowski, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. 
Butch Witkowski has been an independent researcher since 1989, when he and four others witnessed a UFO of unbelievable size hover over a mountain in Tucson, Arizona. Witkowski joined MUFON in 2007, giving him more access to cases and on-site investigations. He became a field investigator, state section director, and chief investigator for Pennsylvania MUFON. Witkowski's also been made a member of the STAR team. After relinquishing his position as chief investigator, he started the UFO Research Center of Pennsylvania. He brought together the best like-minded researchers and consultants he could find. Together they pursue both historical and new cases, and, with a little luck, will resolve some cases of high strangeness. His website is www.paufosearch.com. Pretty simple, jam all those letters together. P-A-U-F-O-Search.com. Check it out. And with all that said, let's get down to business, my friends, and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on June 28, 2011. Butch Witkowski talking about human mutilations and the world of ufology on BOA Audio Season 6. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 6. This time around on the program, as we have been doing this whole season, we're going to be exploring another area of the esoteric and paranormal that sort of just lies on the fringe. And it is really uh, one of the more creepy aspects of the paranormal that uh, we're going to look at. Something that I hadn't really heard about until a few years ago and then really kind of wanted not to think about it for a while and then started looking into it again recently, and that is uh, the phenomenon of human mutilations. I'm sure everybody out there knows about cattle mutilations, but did you know that there's also uh, a lot of cases that look very much like human mutilations, you know, somewhat along the lines of uh, cattle mutilations? Well, our guest this week knows all about them. At least he has done a lot of research on them, so he is going to enlighten us into that. He has quite a very interesting background, and he has been involved in the UFO subject for quite some time, also had his own UFO encounters, so... He's knee-deep in the UFO phenomenon and comes from the paranormally rich Pennsylvania, which I'll have to ask him about because it seems like we've had a lot of people on the show this season from Pennsylvania, and it seems to be a hotbed of weird activity. And so let's get down to business and dig into this subject with our guest, Butch Witkowski. Welcome to the show, Butch. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> I just I just never heard of the show. And uh, I uh, asked a few people about it. They said, oh, yeah, they knew all about it. And I'm going like, well, there I am, dumb again. But uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating subject, and uh, we get a lot of uh, uh, questions on it. Um, I recently was out at the uh, Oz UFO in Lawrence, Kansas, as one of the 14 speakers, and presented out there on human mutilation and uh, took a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a very weird Thing. This is a very troubling uh, aspect of, you know, of the UFO subject in a sense, if it even is UFOs. I'm sure we'll get into that whole paradigm of, of what's behind all this. But before we get into all that, let's talk a little bit about Butch Witkowski. Who are you? You know, how did you get interested in this subject? And, you know, take us through sort of your evolution as a researcher of uh, high strangeness. Back in back in 89, I was living in Tucson, Arizona, and my wife and I, we had some gardeners in to uh, put in some saguaro cactus on the property. And it was getting on... Uh, twilight and uh, asked, you know, it was very hot and asked the guys if they want something to drink and the wife went in and got some iced tea and we're all out there uh, sipping on iced tea and kind of, you know, everybody's like looking up in the sky and so am I and I'm not seeing or 
not thinking I'm seeing what I'm seeing, and it's uh, a craft of some sort, uh, kind of tubular in shape, um, three football fields at least in length and a few stories high, and it's just hovering above a mountain, and I'm looking at everybody else, and they're all looking at it, so I figure, well, I'm not totally crazy. And it just hovered there for a few minutes, and then it rose up maybe about 1,500 feet and shot out of sight so fast that I couldn't, I can't even, ima- I can't even begin to imagine how to tell you how fast it was. It just was exactly, like, it yeah. vanished. So, um, called the local sheriff's department, called the Tucson police department, called the airport, called Davis Mothin Air Force Base, called the radio station, called the TV stations, and they just kind of made a jerk out of me, you know, like never happened. And I'm looking at everybody else going like, <clears throat> did you all see exactly what I saw? And everybody described the same thing. It was like, had a bronze, a burnt bronze coating uh, for like, you know, that looked like uh, been around for a while. Yeah. And a uh, few lights on the side, not many. And uh, it was totally silent. Uh, there was no loss of time or memory or anything like that. It just was there. And then it was gone. And I forgot about it for a while and then started bugging me. And I thought, you know what? I really need to know what that was. <laughs> oh, you know, and that's when the bug bit me. And then I, I kind of stayed at that from '89 until probably '96, mm-hmm. and I just gave up. I just, you know, I had no nowhere to go. I didn't know much about the, the ufology community. I wasn't involved in any groups, and was just kind of stumbling along on my own on the internet, and uh, just dropped it. And, you know, enough is enough. You know, I just thought. You know, you know, I had binders full of paperwork and books, and oh yeah, and uh, then about two thousand and five or six, uh, I just saw something on television flash about a UFO sighting, and that whole thing came back to me. But this time, it came back with a vengeance, and I just thought, you know, you know what, I'm really going to look into this, and um, I just started looking into it and got so involved in it. Now. Uh, you know, I'm involved in two different groups, uh, my own group, which is the UFO Research Center Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and ARIA, uh, which is a new group that was formed by Richard Lang, the former uh, leader of the uh, STAR team for MUFON, uh, which is the Aerospace Research Investigation Reporting Agency out of North Carolina. We're just knee-deep in it. Uh, tonight I got a call. Somebody wants us to come down to Asheville, North Carolina, I believe, to check out the Brown Mountain Lights so we'll probably do that in September. Interesting, interesting. All we right. We have a uh, fully equipped uh, mobile unit that's got everything from walkie-talkies to infrared. It's got, uh, what's the name of that out stuff we have there, global. GPS? Yeah, global. Well, it's global star. It's uh, actually satellite communication. It's um, Qualcomm. Uh, so we have satellite communication. Uh, pretty neat. Yeah, sounds pretty cool. Sounds neat. So how the hell are you going to get down there for – oh, you're going down in September. I was going to say. You're in Pennsylvania. What are you, how are you going to get to North Carolina? I thought this was like some emergency call. All right. No, oh, no, no. no. Now it's just going to get down and look yeah. at see what this thing is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, interesting. Okay. So so you sort of uh, – I'm finding it a little fascinating here that you would drop it for like a decade because so many people get into this and they can't get out of it. They become overwhelmed with it. So I guess, you know, in a way it's like are you happy that you're back in it or, or do you wish you'd stayed out of it? Oh no 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 no! It, it fascinates me. Every every story, every case that we get by internet or by phone is just it just fascinates me with some of the some of the stuff that's going on. Uh, still, a lot of hoaxers out there, you know. Uh, and and that was a, my problem in the very beginning. I I would I didn't know a hoax from a real one. Yeah. And then um, 
uh, and I was one of those that, you know, like, well, I didn't see any more after that. And then a guy said to me one time on the Internet, he said, well, you need to look up. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I started looking up, and then I, I got a case. Uh, I joined MUFON. I figured, well, that would help me along. I became a state section director with them and a um, chief investigator for MUFON Pennsylvania, which I've since left uh, to start my own group. Um, they just weren't going far enough for me. You know, it was like uh, we would do the investigation, with, and they did a good investigation. There's nothing wrong with that, and, and but it was, just seemed like it was cataloged and forgotten about. And I didn't want to do that. I mean, I got some cases laying here that I've been going on for a year and a half already. Yeah. And uh, I've taken over my den uh, with probably about four or five hundred books on ufology and abduction and everything else you can think of. And um, it really has become um, almost a stumbling block. And when I say that, I, I guess I mean that, you know, I started just reading some stories on cattle mutilation. Yeah. And then I started reading some stories on abduction, and I was asked to give a talk on abduction, and I thought, well, I know very little, so I started doing some studying. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to look back into this and just to wonder how many people are really missing, you know. Uh, can't be that many. Uh, and boy, was I shocked. Yeah, yeah. That, that's sort of how you, how you got led into uh, the human mutilation exactly. aspect of all this. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly how I got led into it. It was, um, you know, I, I went back into some um, FBI, you know, the FBI files are open to anybody, they're public record, and uh, went back in through there just to see, you know, how many abductions there were a year or how many missing people there were. Right. And it was phenomenal. It was like, um, I went back to uh, 1991, and there were a total report of 13,861,000, I believe. Jesus. And out of that, um, in 2008 alone is when I did the report, uh, 778,000 were missing, but about approximately 95% of those are found. You got 75% are runaways under the age 18, 20% are, you know, spousal abuse, murders, elderly walkaways, ransom demands, such and such. But the interesting number that kept popping up from 91 all the way through 2008, 5% are never found. Never. No trace, man, woman, or child ever found again. No bodies, no leads, no nothing. They're just 5% of nothingness. And when you use that math, you know, from there to there and use just 5%, that's 38,908 people. Per year? Per, yeah, per year that are never found. Jesus. Around the world or is it in America? It's just America. Okay. Uh, you know, there, uh, nobody – I looked at other countries – uh, like Africa doesn't, you know, Africa, most of the European Union, uh, a lot of countries don't even have anything where they can have any information center where you can find out any statistics on missing people. Wow. I'd uh, like to see a breakdown on that 30,000 and miss some horrifying things that <laughs> happen to the people you never hear from again, you know. Well, it's, it's you know, it boils down to like in 17 years, 40,795 a year are missing. They're just gone. Yeah. So that, you know, then I started looking at what the explanation was from the ufology side of it. Well, then, you know, you got the scientists involved and the doctor and the mental health people. They say, well, it's just deception. It's proneness to fantasy, false memory syndromes, uh, personality disorder, sleep phenomenon, environmental factors, you name it, they had an answer. But, you know, one of the things that stuck with me was that the abduction scenario, everything was the same in every case whether you were looking at cases that took place way back with Betty Barney Hill or 
one that took place last week. There's a capture. There's a, uh, an examination. There's a conference with the abductors. There's a tour of the craft. There's loss of time. There's the return. Uh, there's a feeling of uh, theophany, which is uh, like oneness with God in the universe. And then the dealing and the aftermath, you know, the feeling of what the people put up with after they, you know, come back. Yeah, post-traumatic stress, if you will. And then again, I thought, well, okay, so that's that's one thing. Um, then, you know, there's the same area of interest by the, by the abductors, which is the cranium, nervous system, uh, skin samples, reproductive system, both male and female, cardiovascular system, respiratory, lymphatic system, and the abdominal area, but only the lower region. So, again, now we have, you know, a whole bunch of stuff from a whole bunch of people that are exactly the same. And I'm looking at cases in Europe, and I'm looking at cases in Florida, and I'm looking at cases in California, I'm looking at cases in Canada. These people don't know each other. I mean, there's no way they could know each other. Uh, different age groups, different, you know, backgrounds, different uh, monetary uh, endeavors, and they have the same thing. Same thing happened then. So as I kept going on with these cases and, you know, looking up, you know, the the Travis Walton cases, the Allagash cases, the cases that are very well publicized, I came upon this uh, guy that said there was cattle mutilations need to be looked into with abductions because the cattle are abducted also. I'm thinking, okay, there's got to be a connection here somewhere. So I look back, well, that starts kind of in the 50s, early 50s, middle 50s, uh, where cattle start showing up in the four corner states, so, you know, Utah, Arizona. New Mexico and uh, Colorado, so I started pulling them up, and it's like, wow. I mean, this is just <laughs> this is this is even butchering. This is murder. <laughs> yeah, it's a little. So weird, yeah. I, of course, go to ufology guys and go to the to the scientists to see what they're saying. Well, of course, they blamed it on the pharmacological uh, pharmaceutical companies, and said that you know, kind of alleged that they used the excised organs for research. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. You know, Smith, Klein, Beacom, <laughs> they could buy five ranches uh, if they want to take parts. And then, and of course, that didn't work out too well. So then they started blaming the cults, you know, and that the organs were being used in rituals. Well, that didn't pan out either. Uh, police officers, uh, any government agency that you called, just, they were predispositioned predis to just go like, no, it never happened. It never took place. End of story. Goodbye. Thank you. Done. Yeah. So then you start looking up the physical traces, you know, the, the forensic side of it. So there's like, there's no physical traces, there's no footprints, no crushed grass, there's no tire prints, no imprints in the snow, and no indications of a man or any type of predator near the carcass. As a matter of fact, uh, there, I have pictures and video of, of a freshly done in uh, uh, cow, and a wolf walks right by it. He just passed up lunch. And I mean, he took a wide swath around that carcass. Yeah. And so, you know, they show the typical one to one and a half inch holes through the inter where the internal organs are sucked out and the wounds are cauterized by, you know, super extreme heat, which they say today that we can't even produce without doing horrendous amounts of damage to a body. Right, right, right. Then there's the precision cuts, you know, and it's the same thing. Eyes, tongue, lips, jaw, sexual organs, lower intestines and others. So from there, I started looking up, you know, the different types of kills, and I looked at, you know, calves and cows that were killed by predators, totally different kill. I mean, they go for the soft, soft organs, and they take it from there. There's nothing um, – oh, and another thing that always got me when I looked at these pictures, like you look at the pictures of a cow that's been there for four or five days, a few weeks, whatever, not a fly, not a speck, not a maggot. Yeah. But I look at a cow that was killed – a picture of a cow that was killed 
yesterday, and he's covered with flies and maggots and bugs and birds and. Oh yeah, so the body breaks down very quick from these scavengers. Yeah. So uh, I started going a little further, and I got as as I got more involved and and my name got out there more that I was looking. Then I started getting sheep mutilations from the United Kingdom, which I'm still working on uh, with a guy over there. And now theirs are a little different. There, the there's a, in every one, uh, basically the same organs taken, the same removal of the jaw area and that stuff, eyes. But with theirs, there's a pinhole in the usually the right temporal lobe, uh, which shows like. You ever see the movie Predator? Uh. I, a long time ago. Okay. Uh, he shoots that little beam with the three dots on it. Okay, yeah. Okay. Showing up with the same three marks. Yeah. The same, just like that, a triangle of three marks, three dots on the right temporal lobe, and the brain is gone. Weird. Yeah. How do you even pull a brain out that way? You'd ruin it. That's just strange. Well, I think, I, I don't know if... It, <laughs> you know, you liquefy it. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, it's probably liquefied or maybe it's some kind of sucking device or whatever. Yeah, I just mean, you know, like if we wanted to study someone's brain, we'd have to open it up and take it out whole. So the whole thing is like, what are they doing? Yeah, and then, you know, so as time went on, you know, the, I thought, well, these these reports kind of died down. And then all of a sudden, like in 2010, we had them in Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, Montana, California, Oklahoma, England, South America, Arizona. They were all over the place. Yeah, it became an epidemic. Right. And then I stumbled onto... Uh, a case uh, where it the word I was looking for cattle mutilation is what I was searching and it came up human mutilation I thought well there's a typo for you somebody really got that one screwed up so I called a friend of mine he says you don't even want to get involved in this I said why what's the problem with that he says this is taboo this is something you do not want to be involved in ever he said nobody discusses this nobody researches this and just forget it get away from it Wow. Somebody else tried it many years ago, and they got shut down and basically drummed out of ufology. Weird. So, being the jerk that I am, <laughs> I said, you know what? I've never been scared off by anything in my life. Um, if I, if you know, if <laughs> it's just so hard for me to just back down from something like that. I, I just couldn't stop. Yeah. So I started looking. And there it was. In the early 60s, the rumors started coming to the forefront of human corpses being found with exactly the same type of wounds found on cattle. And they were just dismissed by the ufology community. This is bad taste. Get away from it. Forget it. Don't get involved. So I talked to some people uh, while I was out of MUFON by that time. And I um, started putting my own team together and they knew where I was going, and I knew, you know, they'd follow, and uh, they'd done a great job so far. And then uh, I got involved with Araya because they saw the same thing, and they have an interest in it. And um, Araya appointed me as their chief researcher. But um, I found uh, a bunch of cases. Some I really can't find a whole lot on. Um, some they say are just, fan you know, fantasy. But I've heard that before. You know, uh, well, that sighting was just fantasy. That was made up. And then six late, six or seven years later, you find out that it was a real deal. Yeah. So yeah. I treat everyone like they're the real deal unless I can prove otherwise. I'm not really taking anybody's word for verbatim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So Okay, so that sort of brings us to where 
you arrived uh, at this at this human mutilation story. I, I find it interesting that you were kind of warned off uh, on the subject in general. And 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 have, had you been able to find sort of the guy who tried to look at it originally and got shut down, or or any sort of references uh, yeah, to this I've in the past? Uh, yeah, I've talked to him. He's moved. He's he's moved on to basically the general paranormal field. Uh, a real nice guy, um, hell of an investigator, and um, uh, it was just uh, Don Eckers, his name, by the way. Okay. And and um, I guess he has a couple radio shows now, uh, but he he said just like beating a dead horse. You know, he said you get on the scene of something and everybody's going like, oh, it was nothing, just some drunk, you know, or somebody just fell asleep and died or whatever the case was, and and it was just ridiculous. So I looked up, uh, started looking up cases, and I came up with a case of a Sergeant uh, J.P. Lovett, the U.S. Air Force, 1956, was stationed down in uh, New Mexico, and um, he was doing a uh, going for some parts that were left over from a, a missile range uh, shot. Uh, he and his colonel, and um, colonel was on like kind of on one side of a sand dune looking for these parts, and he was on the other side, and. Next thing you know, the colonel hears the sergeant screaming, and he kind of bounces over the mound, and he sees the sergeant being pulled into a craft by his leg. And then uh, three days later, the Lovett's body's found um, not too far from where the abduction point was, horribly mutilated, just like a cow. Weird. And then, uh, you know, uh, then there was a case in Bliss, Idaho, which I believe that was the one Don Ecker was uh, uh, involved in. A New Zealand case in '94, same, same uh, markings, same damage. Um, now, did you said that they that this sort of human mutilation thing was sort of coming up in the early '60s? And from what I gather, I thought cattle mutilation sort of started more in the '70s. Was, was there sort? Is there sort of? I guess the question is, was there sort of a progression from one species to the next? Uh, as far as these mutilations oh, went, the earliest cattle mutilations I found were in the mid fifties. Okay, and uh, the earliest um, uh, case that I found was Lovett's case uh, down at the Air Force Base, and that was in nineteen fifty six. But then there's really nothing. There's some in the sixties which we're working on now, but we're not getting too far. That was a special ops firefight in Vietnam where a group of special operations soldiers are on there doing what they do in special ops, and they come across some aliens loading body parts from a recent firefight in the containers. Well, firefight starts, and hurry for our side. We won. They lost. Very little on that, um, especially the special ops part. I'm not buying some of the stuff from the guy that's telling the story. Then there was a, also in Vietnam, around in the same period, uh, we're talking you know, mid-60s, late-60s, a B-52 crash uh, where a naval combat photographer is called upon to go out and photograph the crash scene. Uh, he gets there and he says, it looks like it was just put there. It wasn't crashed. It wasn't damaged. It looked like it was just sat down there in the weeds, you know, in the bushes, in the in the jungle. And... Um, they got inside, and the pilot and crew were all still strapped in, and they were all mutilated just like cattle. Weird, but they're still strapped in. That's strange. Still strapped in, and then the command is given to destroy the plane, and the the the, the Maxog group that's there, you know, burns the plane up. The problem I have with that case is I can't find any record of a B-52 crashing in Vietnam in that era. Hmm. So they're still under investigation. 
the one I'm really having a problem with, the one I'm still going to look through, you know, the B-52 crash because I just, it was too good because the guy said, you know, it happened so long ago and he said it was just, he remembers going back to the base and, and being uh, asked to sit in a, in a, in a room uh, to talk to these people and that's all he remembered. And it's just recently in the last couple, three years that he's been getting these memories back of the, this thing that happened. And he's getting it back piecemeal, and he's starting to put it together in his own head. So was he given some kind of chemical cocktail to make him forget? That's possible. Strange. Strange stuff here, Butch. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm a little tweaked out by uh, this. How come? Uh, then, Go ahead. Um, the most promising case, well, the, it is the mo- not the most promising case. It is the case. Uh, takes place in the Guadaparanga Dam in San Paulo, Brazil, in 1988. And uh, fishermen are out on the... Uh, Guadaparanga Dam, which is a man-made lake that feeds water into San Paulo. And they uh, look towards shore, and they see what they think is a body lying on the shore. Thinking it's a drowning victim, they call the police. Well, in this case, the police show up uh, with a forensics team. And um, it's it, it was almost like a dream come true because they actually did an autopsy, took an autopsy report, took crime scene pictures, I mean, they did the whole nine yards. The case, which is probably the best documented, uh, I was fortunate enough to get a copy of the um, autopsy report. I had that translated into English from Portuguese. Yep. And uh, it was just, when I read it, I just sat here, and I probably didn't move out of my chair at my desk for a couple hours. <laughs> it just It just had me stunned. I mean, uh, death was due to massive trauma, according to the autopsy report. There was no sign of rigor or liver mortis. Now, this guy was dead between 40 and 72 hours before his discovery. Uh, Have you ever seen a rabbit hit at 8 o'clock in the morning on a nice August or July afternoon? And by the time you go home, that rabbit's now the size of a pig. (laughs) You know, so this guy should have been bloated uh, and... To unbelievable amounts for for seventy two hour for seventy two hours, forty to seventy two hours in that heat. Yeah, uh, he was not. Uh, there was no bloating or noticeable amount of blood at the scene. The report uh, states that the decedent was found in the following with the following surgically removed: eyes, left ear, inner ear, lower jaw, inner throat, and tongue. There are one inch to one and a half inch holes in the following areas where muscle tissue and glands are removed: shoulder, chest, navel, and thigh. Testicles were removed. Prostrate gland was removed via the urethral tube. Uh, the intestines were removed via hole in the navel. The anus was cored out to the colon. The body presented no signs of bloating, which in itself remarkable due to the high heat range in that area. There was no body odor whatsoever. That's a human mutilation there, Butch. Yeah. And then it goes on to, uh, when I had it translated, the night I was sitting here reading it, and I I must have read it three times before I really got the gist of what took place. Several times in the report, the words vital reaction pop up. Matter Mm -hmm. of fact, I believe seven times in the report. Okay. The term vital reaction indicates a response of living body tissues to injury. So by definition, it can only occur during life and is therefore an index of anti-mortem injury. So if I would stab you with a knife, you would, of course, fight, pull away, tear, you know, try to get away from the knife. Right. 
doing that, you would cause all kind of hematomas around the wound, tearing, ripping, such and such. Mm -hmm. If you do that to a dead person, all you have is a knife hole, just a clean hole. Right. I mean, there's nothing around it. It's just a hole. There's no markings, no tearing, no black and blue, no blood, no nothing. It's just a hole. And this is of considerable importance, especially in forensic medicine, because it's really attempting to establish that an injury was inflicted before death, possibly giving the coroner or forensic people the estimating of the time of death of the infliction before death. Yeah. Okay. And... Um, so what's the vital reaction part? The vital reaction is those... Is those Vital reaction means this guy was alive when all this took place. But there's no signs of a struggle. What you're no signs saying. of a struggle. This guy Very was alive. Almost paralyzed or something. Possibly. We've had, uh, I've seen um, uh, animal mutilation cases where um, uh, the two investigators are looking at a horse that was uh, uh, mutilated. And the one guy is scratching his head, and he looks at the other guy, and he goes, like, something's wrong here. And he says, well, what's that? He says, well, both eyes were removed. Horse is lying on its side. He said, you would think that all the viscous fluid would flow out over to the side, correct? Yeah. Well, this horse, all the viscous fluid flowed straight down his, and over his snout. So he was standing up when his eyes were removed. Ew, weird. So are they... Paralyzing these people or whatever. But what gets even a little more is uh, another thing that contributes to the, they know this guy was alive, is when they do the, the skull cap. You know, they remove the skull cap in the autopsy. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the things that um, when you do that, a person, let's say a person is crushed between two cars, but he's alive for 10 minutes. But he's crushed. He's going to die. He knows he's going to die. Yeah. You know, he looks out on the hood and his guts are laying there. Oh, boy. Well, in his mind, his mind just starts freaking. Yeah. So uh, there's all these little blood, vessel, blood vessels can't take the pressure. They start to bust, okay? So it's very common uh, for uh, when they're doing an autopsy that a uh, when they do the internal uh an internal examination of the skull, uh, the skull cap, and uh, it's just this cerebral edema is all over the place. So that's what they give us the cause of death, you know, that the, this beach just had massive cerebral edema. And the hemorrhaging is just, how would you say it? It would be like instead of a trauma incident, this gentleman had multiple traumatisms. Yeah. There were so many that, you know, his, his mind and his body just shut down. Right, right, right. And and then they just give it the, the uh, cause of death is that. But that is the best case going. Yeah, very uh, weird. There, are, there is a, um, I can't remember where that was. It's, it's in Egypt, uh, Beni Mazar, uh, Beni Mazar, Egypt, which is right outside of Cairo. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this. This one from 2005 that had three families are involved in this somehow? Uh, three families uh, were butchered. Um, uh, they blamed it on a... Uh, a retarded gentleman who lived outside that town, uh, pretty good distance, something like thirty or thirty-five miles away. Yeah. And uh, of course, he was he was the jerk of all trades, so they just grabbed him and said, you know, he's the guy that did it. But <laughs> these people were again mutilated in the same fashion as the gentleman in Brazil. 
every man, woman, and child in that in those three homes was done in the same way. All allegedly by by one dude, one yeah, one guy. Nobody heard guy. a thing. That was that was the biggest thing. That you know, there was no nobody heard anything. The neighbors, because I guess in, in out there, uh, when I read up on it a little bit, and I read the case. The case was published. Um, one, and his 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 trial was published. I read that, and um, uh, nobody heard anything. There was no screams, no hollering, no dogs barking. Both families, uh, two of the families, had dogs. Uh, so. What became of the dogs? Were they mutilated too, or were they just sort of like left to? We're just dead. Just dead. Just dead. They were just like everybody else. But but they were. Was the family? But the people were mutilated. You're saying people were mutilated. The, the the animals were just dead. Weird. And um, since uh, that case, the uh, gentleman well he, well, he was found not guilty. That was number one. Well, that's good. And um, now here's the here's the strange part. This man has been under house arrest since 2006. Now, he is allowed to go to the mosque. He is allowed to go shopping. He is allowed to go out one hour a day. Uh, only he's under uh, police uh, protection, or what they say is protection, more like surveillance. Uh, there's a police car parked out in front of the house all the time. Uh, he goes somewhere. He tells them where he's gone. They take him where he's gone or take the family or follow the family or whatever. But he's not been out from under their thumb since 2006, and he was acquitted of the crime. Well, that's the is that part of the Egyptian legal system? No, <laughs> you know, no, you're acquitted, a, or you're acquitted but it's like a special kind of Egyptian acquittal where. Yeah, well, know. there was. I was. Uh, I did get. A, I did send an email to the the lady attorney that was handling his case, and she says, "Look, she says it is what it is. You know, this will be like this until he dies. Uh, he's not to talk to anybody about it, and." They're just making sure he's not. Weird. This whole thing is weird, Butch. How yeah, many oh, people, yeah. you know, you say you get this, obviously the three families, but uh, and this, this this character in uh, Brazil in 88, but, you know, if you had to make a rough estimate, I mean, how pre how prevalent do you think this is? This is like a one in a million shot for, for somebody, or you think, like, you said already that, you know, about 30-something thousand people go missing per year. I mean, what do you, what do you think? How prevalent really do you think this is? Well, I, it's probably more prevalent than we would wish it to be. Um, right, right, right. There are, you know, the minute you start talking about this, people start sending me stuff about, well, what about Dulcie Base? You know, what about what about where underground bases? You know, where are they taking these people? Well, you know, if I had that answer, I'd probably be the best-known individual in ufology ever. Yeah. But I don't have that answer. I don't know, you know, nobody even knows if Dulcie Base exists. It's, it's a lot of stories and a lot of, Speculation. Yeah, a lot of speculation on a lot of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. The, the hard part is, you know, cutting through all the bull and the speculation and finding hard facts. And every now and then they do slip out. Um, you know, something will come to the forefront and you'll go like, wow, where'd that come from? Exactly. Or how'd I miss yeah. that? You know, uh, but on the average, uh, I, I, I still believe that. I think there are more these visitors, whoever they are, time travelers, whatever. Uh, I think they're a lot mo more malevolent than benevolent. Yeah. I just, I just think that uh, you know, people say, "Well, you know, they're they're just getting ready to attack us," and I'm thinking, like, you know, they've been here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We have proof of that. So if they want to take us out, they would have done that a long time ago. 
then you have people say, well, maybe there's a couple different groups. Well, you know, there's the old story. There's 57 different varieties, and I keep thinking of Heinz. <laughs> and, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, you know, the reptilians living in the underworld and the, the grays and the little grays and the big grays and the, the, these guys and those guys. And, and Let's not I don't forget know. the Nordics. Yeah. Oh, I can't forget the Nordics. <laughs> Blonde hair, blue eyes are probably all from New Schwabenland up in the Arctic. <laughs> but I don't, I don't really know even how to answer that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because first of all, these these cases are just that Brazil case was just, and the Benny Mazar case came out of nowhere. Right, right. They're super lucky turns of events, if you will. Because I mean, we we have this reminds me a little bit of a of a guest we had on recently talking about spontaneous human combustion. It's a, sort of a similar way. In the sense that the authorities investigating these deaths, uh, you know, they're going to go through hell and high water to make sure that, like, the paranormal aspect of this just never sees the light of day. So, like, some dude turns up mutilated like that, you know, it's just not going it, to – the human nature is to cover it up almost, in a sense. Because they don't believe that, that you know, they're not going to be like, well, the most likely scenario is human mutilation. You know, they're going to say, you know, it's – some freak, some Jeffrey Dahmer nutcase killed this guy or something. Well, yeah, but those Jeffrey Dahmers out there, and there were a bunch of them, they were back, you know, you can trace them back into the 30s and 20s, you know, like Gein, uh, the clown, uh, Gacy. Yeah. I mean, those guys are always there. They've always been there. I mean, people have practiced vampirism for thousands of years and cannibalism even till today. Uh, but this isn't cannibalism. This isn't vampirism. This is this is this is something totally different. This is something where instruments are being used that we don't have. We can't do what they do. We could not take and put a hole in you and just say, "I want to remove six foot of intestine and touch nothing else." And that's what's done. I mean, when they opened up the guy in Brazil, I mean, organs they were gone. They weren't ripped out, torn out. They were cut out very precisely. Through a tiny little tube, though, which is even weirder. Through something. Yeah. Strange. The whole thing is strange. I mean, you know, these guys that commit these murders and these weirdos running around, you know, they hack you open with an axe and they just start ripping and tearing. <laughs> stuff yeah, is, yeah. This stuff is done very precise. I mean, uh, uh, a lymph node surgery for a cancer patient is a very delicate surgery. I mean, they take it out with a little hole. Right, right. Even open them up, and there is no tearing of the of the muscle around the lymph node. There is no uh, uh, scarring. It's just gone. Right, right. Well, I guess the point I'm trying to make though is that just that you know it's it would be it's hard for an investigator really to, to you know conjure up these cases because likely they're going to be covered up by the police. They're not, you're not going to get you know it's just going to sort of uh, be brushed under the rug, if you will. Yeah. Do you think that's the case? I mean, otherwise, we'd have a lot more stories of these situations. Well, you know, it's just like you were talking about the, the uh, human combustion. Uh, uh, you're talking about Arnold, right? Uh, yeah, Larry Arnold, yeah. And and I know Larry uh, personally, and we've talked about it, and I happen to believe – I happen to be one of the people that believe it's possible. Um, I've talked to – my son was a fire chief for many, many years, uh, just retired, and uh, – you know, when I talked to him about it, he just went like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, Dad. Uh, I've talked to a fire investigator, and he just blew it off. He said, that's cockamamie nonsense, and, you know, they tried while they were smoking, or, well, 
this guy didn't smoke. Well, he must have been a drunk and the alcohol ignited. Well, how'd the alcohol ignite? <laughs> so yeah. everybody has an answer. But we have a case in, in Northumberland County, PA, took place in 202. Nobody has an answer for it. Just the Todd C's case? Yeah. Tell me about this, because we had Peter Davenport on a few years ago talking about this, and I've gotten emails since from people asking for more info. So well, it sounds like you Yeah, I've talked to Peter it about it. About. Um, um, matter of fact, it, it was his 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 uh, an email from him that got me started on it. Um, you know, it takes place in, in August of '02. Um, he disappears on the 4th. It starts out where uh, the guy gets up early morning, tells his wife he's going to go up and hunt some preseason deer. Uh, you know, uh, just look for preseason deer. It wasn't deer season. So, of course, all he'd be doing is really going up and looking for tracks and stuff, setting up himself for the wintertime. 39-year-old white male and says to the wife, I'll be back around noon. Well, 2 o'clock, he's not back, doesn't return. Wife calls Point Township Police. Search order is mounted, you know, by local fire department, state, local police, volunteers, because he was a member of the fire department. Divers search the part. Uh, there's a pond on the property. They search that. They come up with nothing. They search six square miles of the Montour Ridge, which is where his ATV is found at the top of the ridge, intact, full of gas, key in the ignition, no footprints around it, nothing. No, cadaver dogs, search dogs, they find no scent of Mr. Cease, but a boot worn by him is found later that day high up in a tree. No other clothing articles are found. So the search is called off for the day. Evening sets in. Search resumes in the morning. At about 2 p.m., a firefighter spots something stark white in a thicket of brush near the pond. Now, this pond is only like maybe 150 yards from the ceased residence. And it has been searched. It's been walked around many times by searchers and, and search dogs and cadaver dogs. And this brush is so thick, they got to cut through it with, you know, um, chainsaws to get to, to get what they find, the emaciated body of Mr. Cease, yeah. clad only in his underwear. He's got a dead rattlesnake approximately three feet away from the body. That body shows no signs of trauma at all, with the exception of a burn mark on his left temple and scratches from the thorny brush that, you know, that he's found in. Quick examination shows no snake bites to the corpse. The snake is in the same emaciated state as he is. They suspect no foul play of any type. And um, body's taken for autopsy. First autopsy was inconclusive. A second one was done. That was inconclusive. Then they took the, um, uh, you know, the blood test and urine and all that stuff uh, for the chemical tests. And they said they'd, you know, they'd have the result in six to eight weeks. So they come back in six to, six to eight weeks, and they say died of a cocaine overdose. <laughs> so the toxicology report comes back and says Mr. Cease presented signs of cocaine overdose. He has no previous record of drug use. When an investigator from another group tried to get a police report, he was told the case is still open. And how could the case be still open if the cause of death was found? Exactly, yeah, yeah. This kind of goes back to also to what I was saying earlier, where, you yeah. know, this case is probably out there that the police, if you try to get into it and find out more about it, you know, they'd be, they give you the runaround about it, and, you know, could be something like we're talking about here, which is like yeah. something very nefarious uh, happened from perhaps no, something uh, The only reason you would keep a case open uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, I don't know about other states, but once, a, once, once, the, once the presentation of the autopsy has been made uh, with a cause of death, the case is closed. Right. 
well, this case is still open, so you can't get the autopsy report, you can't get photographs, you can't do anything. And the only thing in the state of Pennsylvania that will keep a case open like that is murder. Well, certainly seems that way. What is now? It, I guess we talked about the Brazilian one and Todd C's and the e Egypt one. No, it, rather than have you speculate on what you think like the grand total is, what's the total you know number of cases that you have in your files? You know, per se. I know you said some of them are you can't get that much information on, or some of them are kind of sketchy, but a rough estimate, let's say nine. Wow. So this is a really small pool of uh, of, of of cases then. I thought yep. I was expecting maybe at least something in the dozens. Okay, so only nine cases. Wow. Yep. And yep. Then, nine cases. Um, other cases that we've tracked down turned out to be caca, you know. Yeah. Uh, that we tracked down a couple cases um, that showed promise, but you know when you did some real background work, it turned out to be nothing. But. I got an email a few months back, I believe it was in February, January or February, from two researchers in England. Mm -hmm. Now, these guys aren't ufologists. They are archaeologists. Huh. And they found, um, they were looking in, in an old uh, church. You know, churches back then kept records like the IRS does today. <laughs> yeah. And um, they found uh, a case of a gentleman that was missing for 24 hours, they, they, a fortnight they called it, mm -hmm. and um, I had to look that up, by the way. <laughs> so uh, he was found the next day in a tree, totally mummified, totally. Weird. Like an Egyptian mummy. <laughs> no blood, organs missing, uh, strange holes in the body. You wonder what... I was know. missing in 1568. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's just... <clears throat> so they really started digging. Yeah. And they found some more cases. And uh, uh, I really can't say a whole lot about it because it is their case. And I, I'm, right now I'm just kind of a consultant, I guess, mm -hmm. and just kind of somebody that they throw their stuff up against to see if it sticks. But uh, it's in the... Uh, um, right outside of London. It's a, a small town. And when they really started going back even further, they found three more cases. Now, bodies have been found in bogs in, in, in England and Scotland and Ireland uh, where the bodies are pristine. You know, they're mummified, they're pristine because they've been in the bog. Yeah. And the bog just creates a mummification process. But none of these people were found in bogs. Uh, one was found on a roof. Uh, one in a tree, uh, one in a clump of brush, and one on a cliff. Weird. So, like, yeah. So, yeah. Just very strange. Locations that these things don't make any sense. Now, you don't include all these cases in your nine, do you? Oh, no, I don't. Okay. No. Now, now let me get back to what, and we don't, like you said, these, this is their stuff, so we'll we'll leave it to them to come forward with their materials. Um, have you looked at this sort of situation here in America, maybe? Look into some of these old graveyards and find out uh, if you can find out more along those lines? I just started doing that in May. Um, we have a very old cemetery um, in, in an area close to me in Reading, Pennsylvania, um, about 12 miles away. But it was built back in the 1700s. And uh, they have the old style, um, they still do the old style of burial where everything is put into a book. Yeah. And then the uh, the whole page. So, like, if you go back to 19, I, w I went back and just looked at a few 
um, just to see how they did it. And like it'll say, um, uh, John Smith, uh, caught by husband with uh, wife, uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, jumped out of building, uh, ran in the street, was run down by uh, a, horse, a team of horses and killed. Uh, Joe Blow um, did this, that, and blood ever, and, and was hung uh, by a lynch mob. You know, So it was very common to put it down the way it happened. There was no fancy words, no uh, high-tech medical terms. Uh, this is what happened. The guy got caught messing around with somebody's wife. He jumped out the window and jumped into the path of a team of horses. Right. And he was killed. So I'm thinking, you know, if everything is that easy, I just have to, like, put some kind of parameters together and get a couple of my guys together and sit down there because they have a room you can do it in. I mean, they let you alone. And they go back... Uh, 17, I think they go back to 1779, I think was when they opened up, 1789 or something like that. And the handwriting is beautiful. <laughs> a little hard to read. That's probably the way I'm going to do that. Uh, but you would think cases like that people would be talking about. And I haven't really heard anything like that. I mean, this English case really caught me off off balance. Yeah, well, it's, it's weird. The whole thing is kind of weird. Now, of the nine you have, uh, so we're talking Todd C's, trying to narrow these down a little bit. we got the one there in, in Pennsylvania. we got the one in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Do you count the three families amongst the nine, or is it a one, one, you know, one for all? That's what, that's just one case. Okay. So what, what you know, tell me about, well, we got six others. We don't need to go through all of them. But <laughs> tell me about, you know, some of the more uh, extreme ones that, that people might find titillating. Well, the, the, uh the ones I mentioned, you know, the ones that took place in Vietnam, there's two of those. Okay, yeah. And then, um, uh, let me pull up my list here. Yeah, so now we're at five, so we got only got yeah. four more left here. This is like Casey Kasem style. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then we have one in Bliss, Idaho, in 1989. Okay. Uh, the New Zealand case in 94. And then there's a, a case that uh, is in Ohio. Uh, I'm having a real problem with that because... The investigator is just being really squirrely about it, like he's really got something and he's not sharing, but he gives me these little titillating points. He's trying to match, evidently, pictures that he has of this body to the pictures that I have of the crime scene from Brazil. Yeah. And uh, although similar, uh, his holes are smaller. His are like maybe five-eighths of an inch to one inch, where the one in this body are one inch to one and a half inch. So, interesting. Um, and then we have one more that's in Texas, and uh, that one just came in. And I'd really just this, this is a, a case where the guy is saying that, that there was no trauma at all, uh, no signs of blood in the body. Um, there was no liver rigor mortis or liver mortis. And uh, this guy had been laying for four days before he was found on some back road about 30 feet from his truck. and. That's all I got so far on that one. Okay, interesting. All right, so those are the nine for the folks yeah. who were at home who were under one of the, uh, you know, they, they would obsess about it <laughs> until they knew all nine. So there, there you go. Collect them all. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny because, uh, you know, um, I thought chasing UFOs and, and researching UFOs would be difficult. I mean, I've seen six so far. Um, wow. Uh, the last one, the last, my last sighting was a daylight sighting. And I was I had I had retired back in January from the company I was working for, and um, and I was walking out, and I was just stopped to say hello to one of my coworkers, and he was staring at the sky while my head almost broke turning around, and brightest white light I have ever seen, 
and it's on our website. I put that picture on our website. Yeah. And, you know, I did all my time, looked at my watch, you know, did the thumb bit, you know, with the size of a dime and this stuff and all that stuff. And I'm looking at my truck, which has all this equipment in it, but it's parked across the parking lot. I'm not the slimmest guy in the world, and I'm thinking, by the time I get to the truck, they'll find my body about halfway there, uh, passing out from a heart attack or something. So I just kept watching and watching. And I'm, the more I'm watching, I'm thinking, like, this sucker's slowing down. And it was. Yeah. And then it's uh, it kind of slows down. It's it's so bright. It's brighter than the sun because the sun's in the background. It's 6 o'clock in the evening on, in the summer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And I'm watching it, and it starts to go vertical. Then it turns cherry red and shoots straight up to the stars. I mean, it's gone. It's just straight up. So I'm looking at this guy. I said, did you see that? And he said, biggest helicopter I ever saw in my life. I said, what? <laughs> he said, but she said, I didn't see nothing. And he walked away. Was he? Oh, weird. Well, I'm driving home, and I'm thinking, should I call? Should I make this report? What should I do? Nobody's going to believe this. This is just stupid. You know, I saw what I saw. Okay, I'll make the report. So I made the report. I no sooner hit the enter button that one of my investigators, who is up in Lackawanna County, which is about 90 miles from where I'm sitting, north of me, calls me and said, did you see this report? I said, yeah, I just put it in. He says, yeah. You put this in? You're the witness? I said, yeah. He goes, hit the enter button. Hit the enter button. There's another one right underneath it. The time difference was one minute. 79 miles from where I was looking at mine, these people were unloading groceries, turned around, watched the same thing, and their report was verbatim of mine, almost word for word, exceptional one-minute difference. I was at 6.15. They were at 6.16. Strange. Yeah. That's a good case. Why do you think so much weird stuff seems to be happening in Pennsylvania all the time? Well, well, there is and there isn't. Pennsylvania is kind of strange when it comes to UFOs and the paranormal. I mean, everything in Pennsylvania is haunted. Every Everybody sees UFOs, but only in two parts of the state. They see them out west, or they see them in the east. Nothing yeah. happens in the middle. Is that the case with all of Pennsylvania? <laughs> no, that the case with Pennsylvania? It, I'm just being sarcastic. You know, you no. got Pittsburgh on one side and Philly on the other. I've always heard that, you know, there was nothing in the middle anyway. No, there, there I, mean, I mean, there's lots of towns. I mean... <laughs> Lots, lots of stuff between those two points, but it just seems like everything's seen in Philadelphia and everything is seen in the, in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. And when we look at cases from Philadelphia, uh, a lot of them are hoaxes. We look at cases from Harrisburg, a lot of them are ho- I mean, Harrisburg, from Pittsburgh area, a lot of them are hoaxes. There are some good ones. Um, and then you have the Bigfoot crowd, which is out in western Pennsylvania, which is the only place in Pennsylvania, uh, with the exception of a few spots here and there, where Bigfoot is spotted. Um Cougar sightings, uh, panther sightings, um, thunderbird sightings, all again out in western Pennsylvania. Yeah. So um, I have some problems with that area. Uh, there was a, a lady out there that was putting stuff all over YouTube, and I was looking at them, and she lives between two airports. <laughs> so guess what we're getting? Uh, she's jockeying the film around. She's got like a, one of these six to seven thousand dollar movie cameras, you know, Canon cameras, and and she's uh, uh, very well briefed in, in the art of um, uh, manipulating film yeah. and photographs. And uh, matter of fact, I took one of her original photographs and, and put it on a, into one of my, one of my uh, uh, programs, and I turned a, a Cessna 72 upside down and backwards, 
and just used the collision lights, blacked out everything else, and guess what I had? Same picture she had. <laughs> Triangle. Nice. nice. So I'm, it's not that I'm skeptical that all, all the stuff in Pennsylvania is bad. I just think there's a lot of it. Well, yeah, and you're like right in the heart of it, so you're probably more, you know. Yeah, more, we get more cases actually from out of the state than we do in state. Yeah. Uh, and the cases we get out of state, some are really good. Uh, we'll be going, like I said, we'll be going down to um, uh, the Brown Mountain, check out the Brown Mountain Lights in Asheville, uh, North Carolina in September. Uh, we've been to the French Azealum, uh, did a paranormal investigation up there. Very interesting place. It was uh, built for Marie Antoinette back in the day. A group of um, her people came over here and built this whole town. Oh, beautiful, gorgeous. Uh, houses and farms and this whole wide area. And when it was done, they found out that she was beheaded three months prior to them getting a hold of her. Weird. So uh, one, of, one of the investigators that had been there before that took us up um, said that, you know, and this guy's really straightforward. I mean, he's ripped everybody I can think of on television. Yeah. That's fake. That I know how they did that. You know, and he's a genius. The guy's just a flat-out genius. And ask him something that happened back in 1941. I don't care if it was Bigfoot or a UFO or whatever. He's got the answer. And you know what? He's right. Wow. Who's this character? Fives. He's right on the money. And he said, I stood up on the second floor landing. He said, I was the only one in the house. And he said, I heard this male voice like right behind me saying, what are you doing here? And he said, turned around, and there was nobody there. He said, so I went downstairs, and the door was still locked. All my camera equipment and TV equipment was all set up where it was. And checked that all, and there was nothing there. But he had that voice on tape. And I'll tell you what, when you listen to that voice, if you're not a believer in the paranormal, you will be. <laughs> now, I see some. I see on the website here, uh, paufosearch.com, you got some... It says historical cases under investigation, and one in particular kind of caught my eye because it seems really strange, and that's the uh, – there's no link to it. So uh, I don't know uh, if, if you have it. It's the uh, Time Portal in PA. So what, what's that all about? And that's that's one that we, we started um, last August. Yeah, last August. We had like four or five reports from uh, north-central Pennsylvania over a period of about maybe four months, five months, where – People were saying they saw, like, holes open up. Uh, I'll just give you the one, just to give you an idea of the yeah. kind they were. Uh, ladies out in her back porch. She lives on a farm in uh, north-central Pennsylvania, very small farm, a farmette, really, uh, passed down from family to family. You know, it stayed in the family. It's been there for, like, 200 years. And she said she's sitting there looking out over the field and watched one of her horses walk by and start heading toward, coming in toward the barn. And she said behind the horse, a it looked like a hole opened up, a, a black hole. And she, that's the best way she could describe it. So the first thing that entered her mind was she was looking at an eclipse because yeah. that was what it looked like. It was a black hole with this little aura around it. And she said she could have sworn, although she's a very religious person and she doesn't believe in this stuff, she said, but I'll tell you what I saw, which was I swear, she said something or someone walked out, got down to the ground, did something, but she could see the hands moving, the arms moving, got back up and walked back in the hole, and the hole closed like a camera lens. Weird. Like a little door. Yeah. And then we got, like, three other ones in, in, in that period of months that were not exactly the same, but close enough. Yeah. Uh, the one guy was on a, um, 
camping trip. And, and um, there's an area in Pennsylvania, it's a, it's a, called the Black Forest. And it's named for that because if you look at that a night shot of the satellite where you can see all the lights in the cities. Yeah. Uh, if you look out in Pennsylvania and look at the night shot from one of the satellites or one of the space stations or whatever, it is totally black. There is nobody lives there. It's this huge uh, state park. Yeah. And they, uh, the astronomers have a big deal up there every year. They go up there and there's like hundreds of them fly into that place because it's the darkest spot in Pennsylvania. Oh, so there are no lights like around. There's nothing that'll, yeah. that'll screw up their, their, their looking at stars and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's where he was. And he said he was walking down his trail uh, by himself. He said, you know, he, he does it once a year. He just gets away by himself. He's a lawyer, which made me think real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he said, I just, I was walking down the trail. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, there was this black hole at the end of the trail. And he said, and he said, when I first looked at it, I said, I thought it was a, 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 a cave, you know? And um, he said, I, he got, as he got closer, he said, really? Keeping his eye on the hole. He said, just closed. Like somebody shut a door. Hmm. And he got to the point where the where he thought the door was. There was nothing there. I mean, it was just a trail. So Weird. So, um, you know, the webpage or whatever is just something that you guys do for fun. Do you have a, a real job? Well, that is our job. Oh. We don't technically get money for the hours we put in, but it is our job. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. So how come you don't have any money? I thought you had a paper route. Well, I'm taking a sabbatical to focus on my pottery. Oh. How's that working out? Not good, Meg. Not good. This is a hard sort of a case sort of subject to really investigate because you can't really, you know. Yeah. It and, seems completely and, spontaneous and random and, and, you know, you can really only go after, it's similar to the UFO phenomenon, you can really only follow up on, on from witness, witnesses tell you almost. Yeah, and, and there are there are a lot of good cases. I mean, the Prescott Landing case up in Erie, uh, you know, you got photographs of the landing pods in the ground. I mean, there's an Air Force colonel there looking at them. There's some kind of substance on the ground that didn't soak into the sand. Um, we've had Bigfoot, uh, you know, abduction cases. Um, no cattle or human mutilation cases that we're aware of. Um, well, wasn't the Todd Seas case in Pennsylvania? Well, the Todd Seas case was in Pennsylvania, but we don't know what to classify it as. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there are witnesses, and again, we've we've went after them, and there were supposed to be like three fishermen in the, on the other side of that ridge is a is a river, and there were three guys out in the river fishing, and they swore that they saw something above the high tension power lines, and something being pulled into a light, into the, the whatever it was, and off it went. Yeah. Can we find the guys? No. Does anybody else know? No. Um, yeah, you know, okay. that was a, you know, Carbondale is kind of like Kexburg, you know, um, I, uh, have looked at the Kexburg case a number of times and, uh, yeah, I know that, you know, with the Freedom of Information Act and all that, they said the government said, yeah, it was a Russian satellite and this, that, and the other thing. Uncanny though about that case is, uh, that the Kexburg object is almost a spitting image of the Nazi bell. Oh yeah, I'm well, I'm well aware of that. Yeah. And when I talked to uh, uh, the chief investigator of that case and brought it up to him, he said, "Nah, it's nonsense." And I'm thinking, well, this thing was tracked coming in from Canada. After the war, we had a bunch of people up in Canada, and, um, Nazis and American scientists, uh, trying to develop the uh, anti-gravity 
uh, you know, they came up with the Avro car, which was a real flop, got up to 35 mile an hour and about four foot off the ground. But when you look at a picture of the Kecksburg bell with the writings around it, and you look at a picture of Das Glock, the German bell, the Nazi bell, yeah, they're identical. Well, what's the writings around the Kecksburg bell? Are they, are, they, uh, are they hieroglyphics like we've always sort of heard, or are they just sort they're of... hieroglyphics, just like on the uh, Nazi bell. Oh, I didn't know there were hieroglyphics on the uh, Nazi yeah. bell. Uh, there's a picture on our website. Okay, I'll check that out, yeah. Interesting. Go to Interesting. the uh, photo gallery, go to uh, UFOs. So you've been looking at this for a long time, obviously, aside from the 10-year break there, where you, where you sort of uh, put it down, and I commend you for that. Believe me, I, I wish I could walk away at times. Uh, you know, what? do you have sort of an end... end you know, scenario on this? Do you have sort of like a final verdict, if you will? Obviously, it's always changing, and there's always permutations to it, but, you, you know, know, what do you think's think is really going on, end. I guess? You know what One I mean? One of the things that I have in my mind, and it's it's kind of coming to fruition, uh, we have found a building. Uh, we have, uh, we're in negotiations right now about the building. I would like to have a real brick-and-mortar research center where people could come in and look at all the books that we have, all the videos we have, all the evidence we have, they could sit down at a computer. Uh, we'll put a couple computers, a couple three computer banks in there. They can search the databases. They can ask questions. They can get answers, you know. Um, but something where um, people can come in. They're not going to email me. They're not going to call me on the phone. They can walk in. Oh, they're still going to email you, Butch. Oh, I know that. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I, I think, <laughs> think unless I would cut the wires and the cables coming to the house, I'll always have that. But exactly, yeah. Brick-and-mortar research center where people can, you know, they can say, hey, this is what I saw, and I can show them pictures and say, well, this is a hoax. Here's what we found. Right, you know, right, or, right. Oh, this is a good case, and uh, we're looking at it, or, you know, or, or get information from them. But it's um, – that's probably the end – not the end for me. I don't think it will ever end for me until I pass on. But, um, you know, we have a, a, a large group of um, – and there's sightings of these all over the country recently, uh, these orange orbs. And uh, I have one of those on our website that was taken by a, a student up at Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, but I guess, Link, to, to bring it back around to what I was saying, though, what, do you have like a final opinion, I mean, not like a final goal? Like, do you have a final thought on what this all is? Or do you have a, you know, what's your current take on, on what really is going on here? I mean, oh, you're, I you're talking about real. some serious stuff here with these human mutilations. I mean, this is this goes beyond... Forgetting all, just, just using the Brazil cases as as a as a start, starting point, it, it, it absolutely took place. I mean, uh, the the autopsy report, all all that has been certified. I mean, they're, they're, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. Um, uh, so if that happened one time, but we have all these other cases that could have happened or did happen, and nobody's talking, we at least have one case that we can say, yeah, it happened. So if it happened once, I'm sure it happened more than once. Exactly. It only takes one white crow to uh, show that all crows aren't black or something along right. those lines, right? Yeah, and then you have I the think cases coming out of England now, the mummified bodies with holes in them, missing organs. You have uh, uh, the, the, the disappearances of people just keep going up, up. You know, it doesn't stop. It's still the same. Uh, you know, the average is a little higher than it was, but it's still there. I mean, how do you get rid of, like, 13 million people in that 17 years? What the hell do you do with 13 million bodies? Well, not necessarily all of them die, though, right? I mean, some of yeah, them. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Are, they, know. are they taken away? Are Prostitution, they, you know, you know I, that yeah. kind of thing. I mean, you, have, you can't. You have to account for that kind of thing, right? Don't people like disappear into into that sort of realm and then, uh, you know, sex slavery and uh, you know, and, and and killers that get away with it, right? 
Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that probably accounts for a good percentage of those thirty thousand per year that go missing. But I mean, talking about the time portals, I mean, this might, you know, just to throw this out there. I mean, the, obviously, some of these very well may be human mutilations, but there could be weird cases where people somehow slip in another dimension and we never see them again. That's, I mean, and that, yeah, that's that's you know, that was that was brought up a number of times with what, in discussions that I have with my guys. And uh, there was another one where, you know, the guy saying about missing people, he said, well, you know, maybe they're being taken for food. Exactly. Maybe they're, they're a food product. Maybe uh, they're given the option to leave and not come back. I mean, what if you – some people that would take that option. Always reminds me of that Rod Serling show where the guy's getting up into the saucer and he's got the paper in his hand. These people are screaming, no, it's a menu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so we don't really know. So, so, But it sounds like you're of the opinion that these are – aliens doing this stuff, or, or whatever you want to call them. We don't necessarily have to come from another planet. They come from another dimension. We don't even get into that whole origin yeah. debate. But what you're saying is there's some nefarious uh, alternative intelligence that is behind the cattle mutilations, the human mutilations, the abductions, and they're not good people. Look, if the government was going to do cattle mutilations, they'd have a ranch. Why would they? You know, some of these cattle are found with every bone in their body broken, dropped from great height where they actually impact and indent the ground. Right. You well, know? so so you sort of just just you sort of like uh you you not you don't give any credence to the idea that that this whole thing's black ops, the no, uh no. the cattle mutilation, perhaps even the human mutilation. No, they I mean they've got stuff underground. If they, you know, if they can keep, you know, like the U2 underground for all those years and it was, you know, it was flying back in the in the late 50s. And we only find out about it in the 70s. I'm sure they could have a cattle ranch underground somewhere that we'd never find out about. Right. So I, I really don't buy the government part of that. Uh, I, I buy the cover-up. <laughs> uh, the government did not want it out in the open. Um, but, you know, then it takes you back to the deals where possible deals made with the aliens way back when. Uh, where, you know, we'll give you so many thousand people to experiment on and you just give us some technology and, and if you look at the time frame, a lot of technology changed from the 50s to today. Right. And that was about the time that all this stuff was supposed to take place, allegedly. You know, that that's the only part about this that just bothers me. You can't really get that Brazil case in your hands in this country. What do you and mean? other countries you really, you know, if they're missing 500,000 people in one afternoon, they could care less. You know, they don't have to feed them. Right, right, right. Well, it's very, it's very strange. Now, what do you mean you can't get that, that case in your hands in America? I thought you had to translate it and everything. What do you mean like a similar case? It's not like a new case, you know, or or like the case in in um, um, in Bliss, Idaho. Yeah, it's not existent. Well, like they just don't, you can't get any info on it. Nope, nope, not existent. Just uh, somebody just wandered off and died. Right, right. goes back to what I was saying earlier about how the police, they're not going to really, you know, this, it's not even an option for them to say that, that, that it was a human mutilation. So they're not even going to go there. It's like what we were saying about the firemen and the spontaneous human combustion. It's just it's not. So it makes it even more difficult for you to actually get your hands on any of these cases. It's going to take some kind of, you know, inside whistleblower in a, you know, in a forensics department or something like that to, to say, hey, hold on a minute. Here's like five cases that you should look at. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, uh, Larry Arnold, uh, you know, the work he's done is phenomenal. The guy has done a phenomenal job. Oh, yeah, he's outstanding. His work is he's, awesome. He's gone back so far. I've read the book twice uh, because, you know, there's some stuff in there I just couldn't believe. And then, you know, I read it. And I started asking people that are involved in the, in a, in the firefighting end of it. 
And they just kind of like laughed it off like it was a joke. And I'm going like, well, wait a minute. If you're laughing it off, it's telling me you have no explanation. Right. You know, at least tell me that, okay, it couldn't happen because. Right, right. All the explanations for that are just, we, we, we talked two, two plus hours with Larry. I could have talked to him for like seven. It was just so amazing. And yeah, you know, like the, the materials bizarre. They set the, the, I guess the one that, well, he, I saw his one film where, you know, they set the pig on fire. Yeah. Well, okay. So you set a pig on fire. It's called a barbecue. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you find somebody that they're sitting in a chair and from their chest, from their mid torso up, they're gone, but from down, from mid, they're fine and there's no damage to the room. The chair isn't even damaged, but they're gone. They're just a pile of ash. Explain that one to me. <laughs> you know, but uh, ufology is, has turned, uh, I think. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm sure. Uh, you have. Uh, the groups that were set up years ago, and I'm not just saying move on. Oh, there was a lot of groups that were set up. Absolutely. Most of them are long gone by now, but yeah. Yeah, a lot of them are long gone. <clears throat> you have um, uh, um, a, a younger group coming up. Uh, they're more educated. They're Internet savvy. Uh, they can research, which is a big thing. They know how to use the digital camera. They know how to use a, a, you know, a meter. Uh, they, can, they, can, they can use the electronics that are out there. And that's, you know, just like the Bigfoot people now that, you know, they're putting out all these trail cameras. And there was one operation where they put out 500, I think, trail cameras. And uh, they got like an arm throwing a stick at the camera. They have another one where there's a blur in the camera, like somebody's pulling the camera off. The camera was destroyed. So are these creatures, humanoids, whatever they are, smart enough to, you know, they, they sense that camera or there's something about that camera or they know it doesn't belong there? And they destroy it, or they rip it off, or they walk around the back of it instead of the front of it. Possible, absolutely. You know, people say, "Well, I want to." You, you'll have to shoot one. And first thing I always say to them is, oh, "Well, uh, wait a minute. Let's get something straight here. If it turns out that it's not an ape and it is humanoid, and you shoot it, that's called murder." I guess, I suppose I, I'm sort of in the gray area on the Bigfoot kill uh, debate. I feel like. Uh you know, I feel like it would be inhumane to kill it, but at the same time, as a, you know, someone who's, who, you know, lusts for an answer to the Bigfoot mystery, and I, I choose that word specifically, um, you know, in a way I feel like in the long run it might be worth it, to be honest with you. But I, and, I, and I, my, my mind changes on that, you know, over time. I'm not sold one way or the other, as I said, it's in my gray area. And I, and I, you know, although I've heard a couple cases where Bigfoot's caused some damage or death, um, Nobody's ever proven those cases. They, a lot of them were from the 1800s uh, by lonely guys sitting out in the woods, you know, with their dog hunting grizzly or something. Yeah. Um, so uh, the sightings, I mean, I look at some of these photographs and I go like, my God, the guy's wearing sneakers in a Bigfoot suit. <laughs> now, They're you saying that this is a real shot of the Bigfoot. <laughs> You know, somebody needs to tell him to take the yellow laces out of his sneakers, and we wouldn't notice those so quick. Yeah, exactly. Or at least wear green sneakers. Now, is it obviously you've? You, I'm sure you're well aware of this whole cattle mutilation thing. Obviously, you 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 know you, you're the guy behind the human mutilation uh, story. Do you? Is this thing obviously? It seems like, as I said earlier, it's supposed to be like burst, like in the 70s or whatever, or the 80s and stuff, or at least. To the to the degree that it's it's not like an epidemic like you hear nowadays. Is this cattle mutilation stuff still going on, or is it pretty much sort of petering out, or has petered out? Oh no, absolutely going on. Uh, the the last one I read, um, 
was in um, July of this year uh, in Colorado. You mean July uh, last year? It's July now. It's June now, so it can't be. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, July of, of um, last year. Yeah, yeah. And that was uh, a, a horse that was mutilated. Um, so it's still uh, going on. There were some, there were there were two reports in. Um, uh, one was in North Dakota, and another one was in Wyoming of cattle mutilation. But it can't be going on to the same degree because it was like a pandemic at the time. It was like something. I don't think it's know, the they same were rounding degree. up posses and stuff to try and figure and out. What's I'll, going and on. I'll tell you this too: a lot of farmers, uh, and this was uh, this came from a report that I read that was given to me by a guy that does nothing but that, and he said that you know this farmer didn't even report this. He said, because if he reports it, his insurance company won't pay for that animal. Exactly. Yeah, it'll probably just be more trouble than it's worth at this point for these guys. Well, these 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 cattle are worth like four or five grand a piece. Yeah. And uh, this guy was really specific about it. He says, yeah, this guy had two mutilated within six months within 50 yards of his house between the barn and the house. Now, the animals were actually in the barn. And when he wakes up one morning, he finds the one outside. And then a few months later, he finds another one outside done in the same way. And he didn't get paid for the first one. Well, he sure was going to get paid for that second one, no doubt about it. He didn't say a word. He buried that sucker so quick. It was unbelievable. Strange. That's when you, so, get, that's when you get the cow sleeping in the living room. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, So are people um, reporting it? Uh, maybe some, maybe some not. Um, um Human mutilation is absolutely taboo. Um, it's just... Yeah, well, what's been the reaction from the other UFO researchers in the UFO research community? Because they're already sort of territorial and, and, and often seriously wed to uh, their own worldview of what this phenomenon is. So anything that really sort of challenges that, they'll, you know, quickly dismiss. You just hit it right on the head. They all have their own little thing. Uh, even in the larger groups, they've broken down into smaller groups. And they're all on the verge of the discovery of a lifetime. So they're, you know, they write their books and they, they do what they got to do. And they're all trying to follow the yellow brick road that's going to take them to the bank. <laughs> um, uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, and I, I mean this sincerely. There are a great amount of good investigators out there. Uh, some of these guys that are writing these books put their heart and soul into it. And they really work hard to do it. And then you have the other ones that, you know, they throw a book together on a weekend and tell you that, you know, uh, they got this, that, and the other thing. Uh, I find that um, when you have, uh, a, like, Arira and, and us, and there's a few other groups out in the Midwest, there's a couple down south, where it's tight-knit. Um, there are people that work with each other for a long time. They all came from other groups, uh, either disenchanted or just wanting to, you know, be part of a new group. Uh, they're the ones that are really digging in and doing the research. Like, yeah, I'm based in Pennsylvania, and my group is based here in Pennsylvania, but we've been to New York. We've been to uh, Florida. We've been to North Carolina twice, uh, New York, um, wherever the cases take us. And I don't think the smaller groups are apt to do that. They're more apt to just pull what information they can off the Internet and publish it. Uh, yeah. I want to see it. I want to talk to the people. You know, we've looked at everything from uh, plane crashes from way back uh, where it was uh, possible uh, a strike by a UFO. Um, the only problem is, you know, record keeping wasn't like it is today. 
So pulling records from the FAA is like pulling teeth out of a wildcat in a phone booth. Yeah. Um, there are, uh, the groups are whittling down. You can see it more and more all the time. I'll go look up a group that I might have looked at last year or something like that. They're not there anymore. So whether they've petered out or, you know, they've moved on to another group or started something else, I have no idea. They're ghost hunting now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of research uh, groups out there that are still researching. And, um, you know, when a guy shows up with a flashlight and a pen and pencil, I'm thinking, you know, this guy is not a ufologist. Um, I know what it takes to get our mobile unit, you know, what, what it took to get that together. It took us over a year um, to get everything in it, radios and, and you know, evidence gathering equipment and, and everything you can think of from trauma kits to climbing and rappelling ropes and, and kits. And we, uh, there's a boat. We have a boat. Um, we're just the only thing we don't have is a helicopter. And I keep saying, that's it. That's where I draw the line. Yeah, yeah. But, um, like I said, there's a lot of younger people are getting involved now. They're asking more questions. They're not afraid to use the Freedom of Information Act, where 10 years ago, if you would have used that when it came out, uh, oh, you have the IRS banging on your door at 3 in the morning wanting to check your books and this, that, and the other thing. Well, yeah. you know, the government can hide a lot of stuff, and I think a lot of the larger groups have been infiltrated a long, long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's um, been that's been borne out, uh, you know, over the years as we've seen what happened to some of these groups. Yeah, they just, they you know, they got destroyed from the inside. Um, small groups uh, like ourselves and Araya, just to mention the two, um, they're small. Uh, we got people just about in, you know, many states, not all, but many. Uh, so we cover pretty much the whole East Coast. Uh, we do not publish our members at all. We publish the advisory board. Um, I, I don't publish anything on advisory board or members. Not going to because uh, some of these guys and girls belong to other groups, and um, I don't want that garbage, you know, coming back to my group. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that kind of actually, that's a good segue here because I have a difficult question I have to ask you here, Butch, but if I don't, I would be doing a disservice to the to listeners. Oh. And, and you know, obviously here we've talked for like almost uh, 90 minutes here. You know this isn't a gotcha interview. I'm not here to set you up or anything like that. But there was some pretty serious accusations made against you yep. uh, at the end of last year. And, 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 you know, when I heard about them as I was doing the research into this uh, interview, it was like Butch Wichkowski he disappeared from the Internet as a result of these accusations. But I'm like, what, what are these people talking about? You know, I, I'm going to be talking to him later on tonight. So clearly he hasn't disappeared. Um, but these are some pretty serious Accusations. I'm not going to get into them. People can do their own research, just like I did, to find out what I'm talking about. But I've heard that you have no public response yet, so I wanted to ask you, you know, what is your take on all this? Well, it uh, it happened when I left the group and started the other group, and all of a sudden, you know, we were getting like, we went from zero hits on the Internet to like, oh, I don't know. 45 or 50,000 and then all of a sudden I was on coast to coast and I was here and I was there and I was speak, uh, called to speak at the Lawrence Kansas thing with all these other top-notch speakers and and all of a sudden this stuff, garbage started coming out and I said well we'll let them go uh, I sent all the proof out to the people in Lawrence so they knew that what was going on and they, uh, <laughs> they basically looked at everything and said you know uh, if the guy wasn't what he's was supposed to be what's this picture of Who's this? What do these uh, uh, what do these papers mean? Uh, you mean this stuff was all forged? 
And that was the end of it. Didn't hear anymore. It kind of went away. Well, of course, um, you know, I'm not going to let it lay. Uh, uh, haven't heard anything up until, oh, about a month ago. One of uh, uh, research called me and said, you know, I just got a call from so-and-so, and he said this and that and the other thing. And he said, I told him he was lying. And he said, no, 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 it's all the truth. He said, no, he said, you're lying. And he hung up on me. And um, uh, we've gotten all the emails that the, these people were sending around. We Everything's been turned over to an attorney. They have their own investigators. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're just going to handle it that way. And uh, uh, my site keeps growing. Uh, the cases keep growing. Uh, I have not received one evil email from anybody. Uh, no bad phone calls, no threats, no nothing like that. Matter of fact, a lot of the people that I guess they thought were on their side really aren't on their side, and they give me all the information I need. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. so. They, they badmouth so. me, and then uh, those people turn around and send me the emails, and I turn around and send them to the attorney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not to put words in your mouth, but would you say that these accusations then are, you know, categorically false? I mean, are they, or, or, or is there something we need to know? Nope, caca. Okay. All right. Well, there you go, folks. There's your response from Butch so, Wachowski uh, to these accusations. I mean, you know, I like I said, I, I don't want to go there, really. But at the same time, sure, you have to, because if I don't, then I'm going to get a whole bunch of crap from people that's like, you know, you had this guy on and here's all this crap. And I'm going to, you know, so, hey, let's get it out in the open. Let's, you know, let's address this. So, uh, so I, but I didn't want to do it at the start of the interview, because, you know, in my opinion, that would be disrespectful to your research. So I guess one of the biggest things that really uh, was upsetting was um, it's just like one investigator who is a matter of fact the judge uh, called me right after it happened and he said now here's what you need to do and gave me all the information I needed because I was basically stunned I took the internet I took my internet down for a day because I was afraid the site was going to get you know nailed mm -hmm. and it was back up the next day and um, uh, I thought you know why? You know, what What brought this on? Uh, never did anything to those guys, never said anything bad about them, just any other thing. And, you know, he said, basically, he says, uh, he said, I know who, what, where, when, and why. And he said, trust me, he says, uh, these folks ain't got the kind of friends they think they got. He said, matter of fact, he said, you're going to start getting some information shortly. And I did. Within a week, I had gotten about nine emails that were sent between the individuals about me, not to me. Mm hmm and uh, and to um, uh, a couple of radio stations I was on and stuff, and, you know, they sent them to me, too. And, um, you know, once when the, I guess the biggest thing was that when they came right, the very first thing was they said I was never a police officer. Yeah. And um, I had sent uh, my graduation from the State Police Academy uh, paperwork out to the people in Lawrence. I sent um, pictures, uh, stories about me in the newspaper. And the thing that bothers me the most is uh, the Internet isn't really what it's cracked up to be. Uh, I see, you know, they have these sites where, you know, investigate your neighbor, find out everything you need to know. Well, that's not really true. Yeah. You can uh, do that kind of stuff. But um, it's just like uh, one of one of my investigators in Araya is uh, was a uh, FBI agent, was a uh, uh, one of the originators of Homeland Security, uh, private pilot, this and the other thing, and he had a friend of his do a background search on him, right? Yeah. Nothing came up that he was ever in the FBI or that he was ever a member of Homeland Security or he ever went to flight school or, and he gave him all the information. 
and it didn't come up. You know why? Because information is only kept for 10 years, and only bits and pieces are kept, and after five years after that, nothing's kept. So when you hear somebody say, yeah, I tried to get this job, and they said I didn't graduate from high school, we had that happen at the company I worked for all the time, where you know we'd hire people, and HR would call us and say, well, the guy didn't graduate from high school. We can't do that. you know. And then the guy says, what do you mean I didn't graduate from high school? He brings his yearbook in, and there he is. <laughs> well, they don't keep records anymore. You know, it's put on on the internet, it's put in safes, it's put in microfish, whatever, however they save it anymore. Yeah. And uh, basically, when they started looking uh, at me, uh, trying to dig up stuff, they only found what they thought they found. They didn't find everything. They right. just found little bits and pieces, and they put a, this concocted this whole ball game together. So I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to let it rest. So I got the best attorneys I could get, and uh, they laughed. I mean, the guy looked at the looked at the one email. And he said, "This guy's dead." He said, "He's done." He says, "Just how much do you want?" <laughs> nice. That's the kind of thing you want to hear from the lawyer. Um, well, not only that, when I said, "Well, how much do I need to give you?" and he said, "You don't need to give me nothing." He said, "I'm doing this for thirty percent." I went, "Oh, okay." Nice. So, um, so that's you know, why we haven't seen any sort of a uh, you know official response from you to this whole thing because I mean it's been going on for like six months. That's when this whole oh, story yeah, it started. Burst. It started in January. Uh, matter of fact, I think it was New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, you know, the lawyer said he said we'll do your talking. Okay. He said whatever emails you get or phone calls you get. He said take down the number. He said or uh, copy the email, send it to us right away. And he said we'll take it from there. And all they're doing uh, is really just building up this case. And uh, I was in, I've only seen these guys three times. And uh, last time I was in, this guy had like a stack of email there, like 40 pages. And he says, uh, here's your three culprits. And he just started, you know, he's seen that. And I said, this is a fourth one we just brought in and we found some on him. And I'm like, wow. So this is like an intentional smear campaign, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, I guess I was just getting a little too well-known, uh, a little too popular, um, but... Uh, do you think the human mutilation aspect had anything to do with it, or was it just personality yeah. conflict? No, I, no, I think I think it's a, a, that, that and, and personality. Um, I didn't agree with, uh, when I left, there were some disagreements that I had um, with the, the uh, individuals and the way things were going, the way things were being carried out. And um, I just felt as though, you know, if that's what they've got to do to advance themselves. Uh, it doesn't really help the research any. I mean, I haven't stopped researching, not one minute. Uh, when I was out there in um, Lawrence, Kansas, you know, I was out there with like the creme de la creme of, of ufology. I mean, yeah, that was a fantastic lineup. Jesse Marcel Jr. And I mean, these people I met and, and you know, got to talk to them and, you know, they all asked the same questions. And the one guy who will remain, na remain nameless at this point, but who is probably one of the biggest names in ufology, walked up to me and he said, you know what? He said, they, they're trying to smear one of our own. He said, that doesn't sit well with me. And I just looked at him and I, I, was, I was honored <laughs> to be called one of our own. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. He said, you know, I read that stuff and he said, you know, that's caca. He said, everything that we've done together, that we've talked about and we've shared, he said, has always been on the up and up. He said, I don't know you to ever uh, do anything to the contrary. And he says, when I read that stuff, he said, I was just so furious. He said, I wanted to call him right away. But instead, he says, I'm one of the people that sent some of those emails to you. 
But you, some of them came, they didn't, now they know who they're from. That's very easy to track. Yeah. Because they hired a company out of Omaha. That, that's all they do for lawyers. They do it for lawyers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, it, yeah, and they, they got everything. They got, oh, my God. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, to have that come from those guys, I mean, I was just choked. I felt, you know, and every one of them was the same way. Every one of the, every one of the 14 speakers. And I thought to myself, you know, I just will go about what I'm doing. Just pay it no mind, pay it no attention. That's what the attorneys are doing. They're, that's their job. Like I said, I really never, ever, not one till this day, ever got a bad email or, or a derogatory statement or anything or a phone call, nothing. No death threats, no uh, no yeah. threats against the family or anything like that. I mean, I wouldn't expect anything. Radio, I mean, we're still on the radio shows. We're still going. We were, uh, last week we were at a, a fundraising event for a paranormal group that does one every year for an animal group and children's group and we were invited this year and we had to truck up there and we set up everything and, and we had a good time. We were there for 10 hours and just met a lot of great people and got a lot of great stories. <laughs> hey, yeah, man, you're on BOA audio. It doesn't get much bigger than this. So I wouldn't worry about it hurting it's just, your I career. Just, so yeah, it's just, I, it's, it's disappointing. And, and, you know, it's the difficult part of it is, but you know, I, I've talked to you here for a while and, I don't know. I really don't know you, and I don't know these other people. It's very. It's just. I. You know. I look forward to seeing where this lawsuit goes because I. I, I feel like you know. I'd like this to be cleared up because some. You know. It's just too. It's, it's stunning accusations. I guess you could say because uh, you know they're saying you fabricate your whole background. That sounds. Uh, mm -hmm. How could that? You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know whose uniform I was wearing, but fit very well. <laughs> And until this day, on the uh, the Oz uh, UFO group, they still have that picture posted. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, so saw posted. Now they took. They had like four of them up there. Uh, one of me in a car. Uh, another one at a crime scene, um, and, a, and a bunch of newspaper clippings. And they took those down, but they left that one up. And the guy said that's going to stay there till the end of time. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, is there any timetable on this uh, lawsuit, or is this something that's uh, no? You know, I think it's hands? really up to them. Uh, I know there are, there's three different investigators working on the case. Uh, I don't even know who they are. I've never met them. Uh, and plus, this outfit they got that's doing the computer work. I know they're out of Omaha. So I think it's Omaha. But um, just like the the one attorney said, he said, "Look, there's three of those." He said, "Look," he said, "just the fact that he said, forget everything else, just put everything else aside." The fact that they start out their thing with saying you were never a police officer in the state of Pennsylvania. Well, you know, if we're going to get into the real nitty-gritty of it here, I thought the part that, you know, oh, where thanks. they say you're a multiple convicted felon in Pennsylvania for fraud is a bit, you know, I mean, that's, yeah. so, you know, that would make you know, me call my attorney. So, uh, um, you know, he said, uh, you know, be that as it may, he said, uh, he said that on its own, just that, he said that is outright that's an outright lie. He said, you can't do that. <laughs> just, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't even think about it anymore because it, it, um, if, if you want to make a name for yourself, like if you want to be the top radio guy, I mean, you're not going to call the next top radio guy and start putting out garbage on him. That may or may not even be true. Absolutely not. That's not how I roll. No. And that, and you know, for somebody that does roll that way, you got to think, what did they gain? Yeah. What did they gain? They gained, they gained absolutely nothing. I mean, I, don't know, I think we're up over almost 90,000 hits now. Um, 
I'm still out doing my thing. Uh, I'm still getting cases. Uh, I'm still getting. I'm in Richard Dolan's book, AD. Uh, I started a book uh, on um, the forensics of investigation, uh, UFO investigations and sightings. <clears throat> That'll probably be out in about uh, maybe in. Uh, now I'm going to lie to you. I had a date, but <laughs> you know I thought you know about a year, but it probably looks like it's going to be out maybe the end of next year. Yeah, well, I run into the same problem every time I put a publication date on things. It always gets pushed up uh, by half at least. So well, yeah, that's, and, that's and the way it is. The first time I've ever done it, so you know, I'm trying to keep all my ducks in a row that I'm getting the right stuff from the right people. And I'm getting the permission to do it and all that stuff. And and I have a, a fellow that uh, I've contracted with that uh, when I put a chapter together, he goes over it and makes sure that I've got everything you know the way it's supposed to be and yeah. got all the correct. Uh, uh, publication notices and all that stuff, and the and the OKs to do this, that, and whatever I have to do. So um, that's that's pretty exciting uh, doing that. Um, we've still got a lot of these old cases that we're digging into. Um, yeah, the ones that are in green are ones that are finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. And um, we'll probably have another one up there shortly. Um, the Thunderbird one, I think, is next. Nice, um, nice. Because everybody, what everybody's describing us is. Basically, um, it sounds like it's a condor. Uh, and if they get caught, and it's happened many times where they've captured condors in New York City. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they get into the uh, upper atmosphere or the uh, trade, uh, what do you call them? Um, sort of like the air trade winds, if you yeah, will, Yeah, the, right? the thermal, thermal whatever it is, and they, they get caught in that, and they can't get out of it, and they just stay in it, and they just wind up in New York. Uh, so I think that's what people are seeing Um Interesting, interesting. When we go back in history on Thunderbirds, you know, they started with the Indians, you know, back before white men were even in this country. There's writings and uh, history of Thunderbirds. And there's also, we found those writings in uh, 1650, 1650, a, um, uh, like a manuscript, but um, done in um, like wood like wood planks, mm-hmm. symbols uh, have, that traveled from the uh, uh, tribes in the Midwest uh, to the East Coast, uh, where the tribes moved. As time went on, they moved closer to more inhabitable areas, and um, they've talked of Bigfoot. They've talked of a, a large, hairy uh, animal roaming the woods, killing deer. And Oh, yeah, the Native American lore is uh, fascinating stuff. Yeah, so it's... it's um, um, I'm just going on as I'm going. I, uh, nice. I enjoy kind of what I'm doing. You beat me to the punch on what's next for you. So well, have you thought about putting out anything on this human mutilation stuff? I mean, even an article, uh, you know, in, in one I of the think, big magazines or, or even, you know, some kind yeah, of treatment. I think we're going to put, I think I'm going to put that everything out I have on the Brazil case. Um, and a couple of the other ones and, uh, just put them on the website and, you got to, cause this is, I mean, I looked into your stuff and I couldn't really find much. Uh, you know, of the documentation. I think if you if you really put it out there, I think it'll generate more. Yeah, leads, I think so too. You know, and I, one, one thing I just wanted to say to you, you know, they don't know that they're being sued. They do now. <laughs> <laughs> they do now, Butch. So, yeah. you know, we'll see where go where it goes from here. But I wish you luck in the case, uh, provided of course that you're uh, you know telling me the truth. But so far, everything seems like the it's on the up and up. So I got no dog in this fight, Butch. So don't yeah, worry about well, it. You know, a lot of people say they go like, they just shake their head, you know, and they go like, wow. <laughs> I 
I said, when I read it, I couldn't believe it. I'm going like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was pretty stunned when I saw it, but at the same time, it's like, this is ufology for you. Mm-hmm. You know? This is, uh, we eat our own in this field. Uh, and it's so. just it's just so amazing. As, I don't know. Uh, it's just uh, just amazing. I don't know why or what it was, uh, but it, it was just phenomenal. And then... <laughs> Uh, and, and the poor guys out in, in, I mean, the group that put on this Oz thing and U, uh, the UFO thing in, in Lawrence, Kansas, they are an investigative group. I mean, that's what they do for a living. Yeah. And they went into it and they said, man, you need to get an attorney. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yeah, we don't want to give this too much more uh, publicity as it is, so. You know, I appreciate that you've been so open about all this and, and, you know, willing to discuss it and just didn't know comment me on it because, uh, like I said, everywhere I've been reading about this and it's not in very many places, so you don't, you know, it's not like this is some huge uh, scandal or anything, you know, but everywhere I've read it's like uh, Bruce Bukowski disappeared and it's like, no, he hasn't. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking to him uh, at 8 o'clock tonight, so, <laughs> so clearly, you know, yeah. it's a case and, uh, of the Internet being like six months behind or something. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I I gave every, I always give everybody face value when I meet them, and uh, if they if they turn they turn. There's yeah. Nothing you can do about that. Yeah. Um, but if I was meant to not be doing this, it would have been done with. Uh, but um, uh, too many people out there in ufology just said, you know, Butch, do it. Just keep going. Just do it. Yeah. Ignore this. Do it. Let let somebody else handle this. Um, you know, you're on you're on good tracks with a lot of stuff, and um, even the people that I just met out there that knew a little bit about it. Just one guy just laughed. He says, he said, oh yeah. He said I was convicted of murder five years ago. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, what? He says, oh yeah. He says uh, uh, another group started up, and he was with um, I think it was Mufon. I think it was with Kufos, and uh, he left them and. Um, started working on a case I guess he started with them and that upset him and next thing you know uh, I don't know on Facebook or someplace like that they put on there he was a convicted murderer or manslaughter or something stupid like that and he had to get an attorney to get you know to actually put a uh, cease and desist order it's a wonder people even do this because you because you know totally know that there's laws about this sort of thing ah, you know but I mean I, you know I I'm pretty sure that that's why I'm not hearing anything is because, you know, everything stopped when those pictures were published in Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah. That's when everything stopped. The day they went in, that's when everything stopped. And the few emails that we got after that were just kind of, you know, meant nothing, but it still showed that there was a, a, a absolute connection between these this individual with that individual or whatever. Yeah. But the day the pictures were published and I sent in my DD-214s and stuff like that, it was done. Finished. Interesting. So, All right. Well, wherever they want to take it, they can take it, but uh, we're ready to fight them now. Nice, nice. Well, we'll leave it at that. And uh, you, you kind of already teased the uh, what you have coming up for you. What's Any speaking engagements you want to plug here for the end of summer or the fall or anything you got uh, up your sleeve? Jeez, I don't know the name of the uh, – it's, it's, a, it's a show out of New York that I'll be on, a paranormal show. Okay. Uh, I'll be on that uh, the um, 10th of July. All right. Well, we'll and, probably uh, won't have the episode out by then, so. 
it's and uh, push. Margie K. I know I did that one already. But um, yeah, I, the radio shows keep coming, and uh, and the uh, contacts keep coming, and we still keep dragging and pushing and carrying on and fighting for this human mutilation stuff to find out as much as we can. And um, and I'll tell you, like I told all the other radio guys, you know, if I if I get anything that's that's you know. Uh, a hit or, you know, something that's really bumped this stuff up, uh, you guys will be the first to know. I got all your emails, and I save them all. So uh, if something happens, if it's a hit, you know, and we find another mutilation case or we found out of another mutilation case that's that's provable with, you know, autopsy and photographs and all that stuff, Yeah, you guys will be the first to know. Absolutely, yeah. Keep in touch and let us know what's going on here. And folks who may have information should uh, contact you through the website, PAUFOSearch.com. That's pretty simple, all one word. PAUFOSearch.com. And it's all over Banal of America, so folks should easily be able to find it. And, you know, if you have any information on these human mutilations, get in touch with Butch. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet 100% that Butch will keep your name anonymous. He's not going to, you know, be like, well, Billy Bob in, in, you know, Tucson told me about this case. So, you know, if you have some information, get it to him because uh, this, this seems like something that's lurking under the surface that, as you said, is taboo. A lot of people don't want to talk about it, but maybe we need to start talking about it because uh, it's, it's some pretty creepy stuff. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Creeps me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is creepy because, you know, you hear these stories about UFOs and everything, and they, with the exception of these stories about pilot encounters where the pilots disappear and stuff, you, you very rarely hear about sort of like death and UFOs together. But yeah. uh, this this really uh, may very well be the case. So it's it's worth investigating. It, it, you know, it's, it's imperative that we investigate it because uh, – we're we're all trying to get to the bottom of whatever the agenda is behind this phenomenon, and uh, and the, the time portals. That's another thing that's really got me bugged. Absolutely, yeah. The time portals is tremendous. I want to know more about that uh, yeah. as you investigate it. And uh, like I said, though, very prickly, difficult subject to investigate because you can't. Yeah, I guess you camp out like, where the time portal was, and you can camp out there for sixty years, and there won't be another time portal, Butch. So it's and, you know, it, it's, and it's uh, you know, it's like everything else. It's always after the fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's the difficulty of the paranormal, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But that we keep plugging away because, uh, you know, one of these days we'll get there as the fact is happening or before the fact, and, and uh, that's that's what we're all hoping for, right? Yes, sir. And on that note, you know, we'll close the book here on, uh, on, on this conversation. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, Butch, sharing this troubling but really uh, enlightening information about human mutilations. Uh, you know, I wish you the best of luck getting more of these cases and getting more to the bottom of this. And, and I hope, you know, as you get more prominent here, because you really, from what I understand, you've only been really sort of like talking about this for the last few years. So the more this gets out there and the more people hear about it, hopefully the more information we can conjure up or find and, 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 and uncover about this very strange phenomenon. But definitely, please keep us in, in mind uh, if you have any breaks or any uh, amazing news uh, comes your way. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I wish you the best of luck with everything in the future. And I thank you, and we will do that. That does it for this installment of BOA Audio Season 6. Big, big thanks to Butch Witkowski for coming on the show, giving us so much time, and for being so candid in his answers. You can find out more from Butch at the website, www.paufosearch.com, P-A-U-F-O-Search. 
BOAAudio.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio listener feedback. And we've got a bunch of emails here, lengthy ones, so let's just dive right in. The first one comes from Diane and Dave in Malmesbury, Wiltshire, UK. And it's written by Diane speaking for herself and her husband, Dave. Here is what Diane has to say. Can't quite remember how I found you on the net, but I'm rather glad that I have. I've listened to other podcasts, but I find yours the most balanced, interesting, and varied. I'm currently working my way through the archives. Wow, thank you so much for making them available. I'm now working my way through Season 3. I think my husband used to cringe a bit when I first started listening to esoteric podcasts, but even he has to admit he finds your shows fascinating. I guess you could say you've grown on us. You are clearly well-read in all things of an esoteric nature, and your interviews are professional. Not polished, but definitely professional. If we wanted polished, we'd listen to BBC. Our house is divided on the yeah-yeah. I like it, he doesn't, but you know, he is a Brit, and I am an expat American. I still need to start reading the blogs, but with working full-time away from home, it's a matter of not enough time. Promise to work on getting more than half the story in the future. We both love that you recognize your staff at the end of each show. It reminds us that this is a team effort. Yes, we do listen to the very end each time. And finally, I love how you start each show with Hello My Friends, as I rather feel like you are a friend. I'm so delighted to listen to you advert-free, and in a small attempt to continue to keep it this way, I've clicked the PayPal button. I've also bought a couple of t-shirts from your BOA store as well, one for me and one for the better half. We wish you much success in all you do. If you're ever in the Malmesbury area, drop in for a spot of tea and cake. We're relatively close to Avebury, Stonehenge, Woodhenge, etc. Wishing you all the best. Diane and Dave in Malmesbury, Wiltshire, UK. Thank you for writing in, Diane, and by extension, Dave. You guys are awesome. Really love the international listeners. It is totally thrilling to know that Diane and Dave are out there in the UK listening to BOA Audio right now and listening all the way to the end of the program. Got to give them extra points for that as well. Hope you are enjoying the dig into the BOA Audio archive. I think we're up to like 175 episodes at this point with no plans on slowing down. One line here in your email did stand out. That is that the house is divided on the yeah, yeah. That's a conversation that we had at the end of the program, probably back in Season 3, since that's where Diane's left off so far. And that really sort of revolved around my style of encouraging the guest with their answers by just sort of saying, yeah, and and sort of giving them a little bit of a push as they're talking. I don't like to interrupt the guests, but I like to let them know I'm here, I'm listening, and when they're done, I'm going to have additional questions. I haven't really noticed it in a long time, so maybe my style's changed over the years. I still use some verbal crutches that I'm totally aware of them and certainly cringe when I hear them as I'm listening to an episode back. But that's just the way we do the show. That's just the way I do my interviews. People seem to like it. I enjoy doing them that way. I appreciate that you call us professional but not polished. That's the one thing I don't want to be totally here on the program, and that is totally polished. I mean... The style of taping, the insanely random posting times, we're anything but polished here at BOA Audio. I prefer to be raw, and the listeners, I think, 
have come to accept and really enjoy the rawness of this program. Got to also thank you in a huge way, Diane and Dave, for picking up the t-shirts and for clicking the PayPal button and making a donation. I don't want to turn this into a long plug for donations, so just let me say thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome, and your donations via the PayPal button and the t-shirts will go a long way to help and keep the lights on here at BOAHQ. And if I'm ever fortunate enough to be in the Malmesbury area again, I will definitely stop by. In my younger days, I did make a trip out to the UK, spent some time in London, and had the opportunity to go and visit Stonehenge. That was back in the year 2000. I've heard it's changed quite a bit in the last 11 years, and I would absolutely love to get back over to the UK. But... I can barely keep the lights on at BOAHQ. I mean, who are we kidding here? I couldn't even fund a trip to the zoo. So right now it remains a dream to get back over across the pond and explore the esoteric side of the UK. Hopefully someday in the future that can happen. And don't be surprised, Diane and Dave, if you hear me knocking on your door in Malmesbury looking for a place to crash for the weekend. Next email comes from Alex. No hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts. They're good for listening to when I'm doing some kind of work that doesn't require concentration. Anyway, I'm writing this email to ask you, how much do you believe the people that you have on your show? Judging by the number of UFO people you have on your show, I'm guessing that's where your primary interest lies. What about the rest of it? You had on one woman who found all manner of textual and numerical significance to everything in the Bible and other religious sources. You had a guest on that believed that all Sasquatches were telepathic. I think that's your show. Maybe it was Radio Mysterioso. I think you had people on who think that FEMA or the UN wants to put Americans in concentration camps, but I'm not certain. Signed, Alex. I'm not certain about a lot of that. Uh, I'm sure we've had people on that think that FEMA or the UN wants to put Americans in concentration camps. I'm willing to bet on that. Uh, regarding Sasquatches being telepathic, actually, now that I'm thinking about that, that could be Joe Fex that you're talking about, Alex. So that's a possibility as well. And I'm sure you're talking about Dr. Joy Pugh with regards to the textual and numerical significance to everything in the Bible. Now, with regards to how much I believe the people that I have on the show, we've had dozens of guests, maybe it's close to 100 now at this point. I'm not positive. I'd have to go back and count. Uh, some people, I believe, quite a bit. Others, to be quite honest, I don't believe at all. It's not my job, really, to act as the gatekeeper to the BOA audio listening audience. I'm sure there are many shows out there where the hosts will only have guests on that they believe or will only have guests on that espouse theories that they believe in. I'm not one of those hosts, and this is not that kind of show. Our program really aims to bring the message to people out there. We'll, we'll interview just about anyone in the realm of the esoteric who has a theory or has a line of research that they want to discuss, and I'd like to leave it up to the audience to determine what they believe and what they don't believe. Once I start sticking my nose in the believability and the veracity of the guests, that's when things are going to go haywire in a big way. Now, that sounds kind of like a circumspect answer. So if I was going to get more specific, I would say 
that my beliefs are almost entirely fluid at this point. When I first got into this, I probably believed in the base theory behind all paranormal, you know, uh, Bigfoot is a lost animal. UFOs are aliens coming from another planet. In the last six, seven, eight years since I've been in the paranormal community, my opinion has just really just broadened. It's become murkier than ever before. I've talked to so many different people with so many different theories that I've come to the conclusion that you really can't pin almost any of this down. So it's hard for me to really say what I believe in anymore because my belief is constantly changing. I felt like that's kind of a long, rambling answer, but I'm hoping that somewhere in there, Alex, got some idea of where I stand on some of these things. Hopefully it wasn't too vague or philosophical. Nonetheless, thank you for writing in, Alex. Final email is another international listener. It comes from John in China. Kind of a meanie here. Here's what John has to say. The shows you've done from September 1st, 2011 onward suck. Absolutely no show content. When will the drought end? John in China. Why do you gotta be so mean, John? First of all, we haven't even put out an episode in the entire month of September, so clearly uh, they suck because they do not exist. Maybe that's what he's trying to say. Maybe this is some kind of, like, riddle. Yes, you're right. Absolutely no show content. I explained it at the beginning of the show. I had to step away from Banal of America for the last few weeks because I had to work. Because I have to have a job. Because doing Banal of America does not pay my bills. I would love to not work and concentrate on BOA full-time. But if I did that, I'd be running this entire operation out of the backseat of my car, which is where I would be living. So, I apologize, John, in China for the drought. I apologize to all the listeners out there who are unhappy that it's taken us so long to get another episode out to you. But I gotta work. I gotta pay the bills. I gotta do what I gotta do to keep in all of America running. And if that means walking away from the website for three weeks, that's what it's gonna take. Those are the sacrifices the listeners are gonna have to make if they want this entire operation to keep running. I could be like other shows and go premium. I could be like other hosts and send emails out begging for money constantly. I'm not going to do that. At the end of the day, we all have to make sacrifices. I have to work to make my money. You guys got to wait a little bit longer to hear BOA Audio. I know it sucks, but hey man, we're going through a global depression. Maybe you don't feel that, John, because you're in China and you're taking over the world. But those of us in America are hurting, man, and we got a lot of bills to pay. And those of us here in Benal of America, same thing goes for us. So the drought is over, as you can hear, John, and stay tuned. Obviously, we're going to try and get the episodes out a lot faster than they have come to you in September. That's a given. And if I could put a pin on it, I'm hoping to do them every 10 days or so until we wrap up the season. On that note, we wrap up BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Thanks to all the international listeners, John in China, Diane and Dave in Malmesbury, Wiltshire, UK, and Alex from Parts Unknown. If you'd like to be a part of future installments of BOA Audio Listener Feedback, here's how you can do it. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or go to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com and click the contact button. And the final method is, of course, to join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S 
B-O-F-E.com. It's BOA's Paranormal Playground. Lots of discussion going on there about the esoteric as well as pop culture. So hop on over to the forum or send us an email. We'd love to hear your correspondence regarding the program, and it just may find its way into BOA Audio listener feedback. I would be remiss if I did not also mention that I'm part of Facebook and Twitter. So just punch in Binal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, and you'll find me on those social networks. Befriend me, follow me, poke me, it's all good, and it would be awesome to have you a part of our online circle of friends. Up next, let's thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff. Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, our contributing cartoonist Andy Carollin, and our webmaster Jeremy Boston. Much like BOA Audio, the offerings at Ben All of America have been a bit dry here in September. Big thanks to Leslie and Regan Lee and Tony Morrill for contributing some columns here this month. I'm going to try and rally the troops and get some new stuff at you in the month of October. Do not fret, my friends. And once again, let me point out, if you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at Ben All of America, then you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Now comes the time in the program where I take my hat off and pass it around to the BOA Audio listeners and ask you to make a donation to the Banal of America franchise. There are two ways in which you can help out BOA via donations. First, you go to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com, and click the PayPal button. They'll walk you through the process. It is safe and secure, my friends. But if you don't trust the internet and you want to donate via snail mail, you can do that by sending your donation to Tim Benal, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass. 01866, and you spell Pinehurst, P-I-N-E-H-U-R-S-T. So altogether it is Tim Benal, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass. 01866, and the address is prominently displayed at BOA right under the PayPal button. We say it week after week, but I want to stress it once again, my friends. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the website and the audio series up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next time on BOA Audio, we have got an episode that is sure to generate some controversy from the listeners and from the world at large. Our guest is filmmaker, author, and activist Pearl Jr., she is the woman behind the film Alive. Is Michael Jackson really dead? On June 25th, 2009, the king of pop Michael Jackson died. Or did he? Pearl Jr. is going to join BOA Audio to make the case that Michael Jackson faked his death. She'll outline the clues that suggest MJ is really still alive and explain how and why such an elaborate plan would and could develop. I know you're sitting there right now going, wow, a Michael Jackson death hoax episode? Yes, we're going there next week on the program, my friends. I saw this film on Netflix. 
probably had the same reaction that many of you out there are having right now. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Who is behind all this? Then I watched the film and was like, wow, Pearl Jr. is behind all this, and I've got to get her on BOA Audio to share this theory with the BOA Audio listeners. We taped the episode a couple of days ago. Pearl Jr. is dynamic. She's fascinating and funny and really has a lot to say about this Michael Jackson death hoax. So if you're sitting there saying, no way, man, I'm not down with that, please reconsider. Give this episode a chance because I think you're really going to find it very, very interesting. Pearl Jr., creator of Alive, is Michael Jackson really dead on the next BOA Audio. And on that note, we say goodbye for one more week here on the program. Big, big thanks once again to Butch Witkowski. And, of course, big, big thanks to the folks who wrote in for BOA Audio Listener Feedback, Diane and Dave, Alex and John. And what would be the end of another edition of BOA Audio without me profusely thanking all you folks out there, the hardcore BOA Audio listeners, the folks who stick with us, through the month-long droughts, through the crazy episodes, through the interminable delays between programs. You guys are the best. You keep supporting us. You keep plugging away. And I really, really appreciate your support. You are the fuel that drives the BOA mothership. Without you, we would simply not exist. Thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall. Signing off.